You sound good on my end, and we'll, uh, and we can just start like talking about it now. I guess this is this is the intro. This right now, as as I'm talking, <laughs> as my mouth is moving, this is going to be the beginning of it. And uh, you know, I'm sure anyone listening to this right now has seen the title of the podcast. But Insomniac, Green Day's Insomniac, turns 25 um, the week that we're recording that, or really, I guess the following, actually exactly a week, right? It would be next Saturday yeah. it turns 25. So we're recording this a week before it turns 25, exactly. And uh, yeah, me and my dude, Kyle Steven, um, you know Stevens, you know him as, I mean, one of the Illinois bad boys of the show. Not a Joser, not a hashtag Joser. We we no, definitely got into this last, oh no, fuck no, dude. You are not a Joser. You are definitely not. And, uh, you know, I would not be doing this episode if you were. Um, I wanted, I've wanted to do an episode where like we kind of dissect a record. Like that's kind of the thing of this. We're gonna do like an album analysis and, uh, you know, I've wanted to dissect it with, uh, some buddies and this is me and me and Kyle kind of were starting to do this on the last episode and we were getting to like the bands that got us into music. And then we got into other subjects, one being Joser's. <laughs> and, uh, this time we're going to go more down the green day, you know, rabbit hole that I think we were going to last time, maybe more than we did. So, I mean, we're going to dissect this record, what we like about it. We're going to go down track by track. And, uh, you know, I mean, really just any which way you can. We're going we're gonna to talk about this album until you're fucking sick of it and you never want to listen to Green Day ever again. That's kind of that's kind of the plan here. But, uh, Kyle, dude, how are you doing? I'm doing really good, brother. I'm happy to be back. I, uh, I always enjoy doing these with you. I mean, like, this is, this is the uh, – third time we've had you on and they are uh, always enjoyable and it, i mean i will throw this in here a little shameless plug or whatever but uh if you are listening to this and you're like newer to the podcast and you've not heard our episodes of kyle i uh, really do enjoy them go check them out top five blink 182 songs and uh he had some great takes in that one and then also the uh, neon is for hashtag josers you gotta go i don't even know how to explain that one there's really <laughs> just go listen to it just go listen to that one and you'll thank me after so uh there's lots of there's lots of uh kyle audio out there to check out and uh i think this is going to be a good one so i mean starting out i i asked you to uh do this and i wanted to i wanted to uh analyze a record and i said i gave you the band but i made you pick the record i'm like all right we're gonna do green day but you pick the album so i mean why uh why did you pick insomniac for us to uh, dissect Oh, well, I mean, I, it's so it's so fun because, like, this record uh, was one of the very, like, early records for me as a child, kind of getting introduced to, like, the, the punk rock scene. Um, obviously, everyone knows Green Day's Dookie. Great album. Like, it launched them into, like, a stratosphere that they probably didn't expect to be in. I doubt um, it. I, like... Yeah, I liked Offspring and like Operation Ivy and like some of these other earlier bands, but like this record, uh, it had such a, it's funny, it had a visual influence on me first and foremost because my brother had a poster of the like the entire album art 
um not just like what they actually see like, oh the one oh yeah the really cool one it's like i think i think the vinyl might actually have the whole picture on, like has the alternate cover art which i like the original anyways but yeah like that's a cropped version of the real thing like the whole thing is really fucking cool that has to be like their best album artwork i would say like hands down oh yeah i it's funny because yeah, when like kind of getting into it, like visually, it was like my first introduction to the album, just because of the, because of the actual picture itself and the poster. Um, and I remember just because of my parents, they like my dad was a huge Rush fan, and like every time I look at this album, I just picture like every Rush cover that I saw as a child mashed into like one giant like poster, and I was just like, this this thing's fucking cool. And like I didn't really know what to expect because I didn't have the record. I didn't have a CD yet. Um, so I only had the visuals to go off of. And because I knew it was Green Day, I knew it was going to be cool. I just had to wait until my brother played it in our room or if it was just like a hand-me-down CD. So my introduction to it musically took a strange route because it was all visual for me first. That That's interesting. And do you, like, how do you feel with it like connecting it like you were saying like you saw the artwork before you saw the music like i feel like it fits really well when you do listen to it it is a somewhat darker record i would say than dookie and i think really the artwork like represents it really well like would you agree with that oh absolutely like what i wrote like as i was trying to analyze this record and i was an adult compared to how i was listening to it as a kid the first thing i wrote was just lyrically this is a really dark downer album lyrically. <laughs> it really is <laughs> it it is and yeah visually like seeing the, the poster like as a kid i just thought it looked cool but like i didn't really connect it to and then as i got like older and ended up getting a cassette and then like a burned cd and actually listening to it like it didn't make sense like once i learned what the lyrics were of the record because musically it's you know it's really upbeat and super fast but once I really digested the lyrics, the poster made more sense to me. And it was, you know, it, it, it all came together in like a really cool way for me. See, that's a, and that's a good point too, about how like musically, I mean, it's still like the songs are all basically in a, in like they're in major keys and the, you know, the musically doesn't sound much different than a dookie and not even a bad way, but I mean, kind of a continuation of that, but it is, it's the lyrics. They kind of pull that whole thing where I guess the Smiths are like the biggest one of that, where like it's happy music with really like fucked up lyrics. And, you know, Green Day 100% did that on Insomniac. It's kind of the like punk version of that where, yeah, it's like this music. I mean, not even that it's the happiest sounding music, but I mean, it's, it's just sounds like a, you know, your standard punk pop punk record of the time. But uh, I mean, really probably lyrics a lot darker than uh, what was big at the time. And also off Dookie, I mean, I, I think uh, there's a lot more maybe seriousness on this one. Like, I feel Dookie kind of has, like, they were, and, and really the other thing, which I'm sure we'll get into, is, I mean, the record, I mean, Dookie was 94, Insomniac was 95. So, I mean, this stuff was getting written within, like, I, I mean, probably had to be, like, within a year of each other. But, like, you kind of look at it and really how much, uh, I think, probably the attention and fame kind of hit the band because yeah you, you look at dookie and it's kind of this you know i mean there's there's songs i guess have more serious topics but it's like it is more of a juvenile record i think it's more lighthearted. where within just a year you have this new record where it's like 
Oh yeah, like it's it's not as uh it's really not as playful. Like it's really it's like a lot more serious. It's kind of very grown up from only being like you know like a year in between. Yeah, like uh, like like you just said, you know, with with such limited time between records, um, part of it for me, the reason why I really end up enjoying this record was that like Dookie blew up for them and it was great. And they had the hits that they had off that album and the hits were so massive that they basically like shadowed this entire record in my opinion to the point where like, I, I still feel like to this day and I have no confirmation to it. I still feel like if I were to ask like just a cliche, like punk rock pop punk kid of like the nineties and like early two thousands, that whole era, if I were to bring up, this album most people probably either a wouldn't know of it and if they did they probably assumed it came before dookie oh one dude i uh i was talking to you about this when you picked this record and i really didn't up until a few weeks ago because i mentioned this album on uh, i was doing a, a podcast about a bunch of records that came out in 1995 and when I was putting the list together and looking that records came out that year, that was only when I realized that it had come out like a year and a half later and uh, was the follow up to it. I guess I, I guess I assume Nimrod was like, I guess I just got them kind of mixed up in the timeline, but it doesn't sound like a it definitely doesn't like I don't feel like it's the record that you would think would come next. And And really, though. I think this happened a lot in that era because an example I was just about to bring up and I didn't even think about it, but they also put out a record, obviously, because Smash was like such a big goddamn record. But uh, Ixnay on the Ombre is another one where I go, that album doesn't sound like what would be the next one. Like to me, that's another where I'm like, that almost sounds like earlier stuff. And I wonder, like, do you feel like they probably fell in the same thing that Green Day did where it was just like just that pressure? Because that's another one. I mean, Smash and Dookie sold so many fucking records like those have to be not even punk like you can take you can take out the fact that those are both punk records those are just some of the greatest selling records of the 90s period and to like go from that to the next one seemed to really fuck them up yeah it yeah i can see the 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 similarities totally uh man because like most people like if i were to ask someone about i would assume uh, if I were to ask people about this record and they probably wouldn't know of it, they would at least know the song Brains Do, which is the biggest hit off this album by any means. And it's probably um, one of their – don't you feel like – like this is kind of a funny thing it because Insomniac didn't sell all that much, but don't you – like I feel like Brains Do is probably one of their most well-known singles. Even though the record's not very well-known, that I feel like I hear on the radio in places – almost more than anything else. And even like if a band's going to cover green day, like if you go see a bar band and they're going to cover green day, that almost always seems to be the song that gets covered. Yeah. It's yeah. Honestly, it's either going to be brain Sue or it'll probably end up being like long view or basket case when I come yeah. around, you know, the, the yeah, that's very true. Um, but like, it's funny. Like, I don't know if, I mean, I can bring this up now since we're already on the topic of at least the song. Um, this song was like probably a lot of people, one of the first songs they actually heard off this album. And I remember, uh, hearing it and specifically one particular like section of song that like blew my mind, like as a kid, that was like one of the pivotal reasons for me to even want to play guitar. And you know how, like, uh, 
kind of go into a different band for a split second. You know how, like, in uh, Radiohead song Creep, mm-hmm. where uh, it does, like, the, I wish I was special, so fucking special. You're talking and then about you hear the that chugs? really crazy, the, the, the crazy, like, not, yeah, so that part in Radiohead where a lot of people were like, holy shit, that sounds cool. For me as a kid, hearing, like, the chorus in, in uh, Brain Sue, where not is it just the, 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 Dennett, but like the the scratchy filler notes yeah. that are just really just not even playing the strings, just like hands hands off the frets, but still holding the strings down and just kind of making noise. That noise in between each note blew my mind as a child, being like, "What is that? And how can I do that on a guitar?" Because I didn't <laughs> play yet. It was like, but that sound was like so crazy that I was like, I, if I learn how to play guitar, I have to learn that, that specifically. I I want to get when we uh, when we get back on this song, like as we're like going down the track list, I I wrote down a bunch of stuff exactly what you're talking about. Where also just how layered, like really how produced that song is, not realizing how produced it actually is, and just things like that where. A lot of people, like I was listening to Brain Stew today, and I guess I, it's probably not the first time I've heard it, but I forget about it a lot, how in that second verse there is just that chugging layered underneath, and he's not really playing. I don't think he's playing any notes. It's like you're saying. He's just like chugging on open strings, just like with the gain up really loud. And it like it makes the song. You don't realize it, but it's like that's what's giving that song that like oomph and like that just such a boost. You know, including when you're talking about a band that was just a trio, which is the other thing I got to say, too, on this record is it really there's a couple times where they shine on this album where I just go like that's that's why you have a power like like a good power trio. And obviously Green Day being one of the uh, probably most popular ones in history, um, just like how good they are as a trio, like not sounding empty or anything like that, which ironically, though, they play arenas and that's why. But I mean, ironically, they're far from a trio when they're live. But, you know, I, I also yeah. understand that's filling out, you know, like you're playing fucking arenas like you're Green Day. So it's like it's not like they're doing that because they can't play. It's like you're playing such big places that that's how you fill out the sound in the room. But like I think on Insomniac, they really there's a couple there's a couple moments on there where they just shine as a trio like though they're just they just interlock so well. And uh, and the one thing I noticed, too, on a couple songs in here that I really liked and I wish they did more on this record, but like on some of those choruses with uh, Billy and Mike both singing, very underrated. You don't think about it a lot, but Mike will come in on songs a lot of times on the chorus, and it really adds to it. Like I, I always think of Billy, you know, because Billy sings on all of them, but I forget how Mike will sometimes come on and his vocals underneath Billy's work, like, I don't know, really, really well. But yeah, the, what, like, uh, the, the one another one of the little things I kind of wrote down was I feel like by comparison from Dookie to this, I, I guess it's the follow up album, the sophomore album, quote unquote, to Dookie. But it, A, it, the mix sounds so clean for just a, a three piece, you know, Green Day punk rock band. Yeah. But I, everything comes through super clean. So, like you're saying, like, Mike's vocals, you know, on the courses and stuff like that really come through. And it's one of the few records that I can really appreciate musically because I can always hear everything. 
because there's sometimes songs that I listen to that like will be, you know, four or five piece band, whatever. And I can't hear the bass. I can't hear anything that they're doing. It's, and if they are doing something, sometimes it's just following the root note of the guitar. Mike's bass cuts through so well. Yes. And, and he's not just playing root notes. No, stuff like no. that. You know, he's really playing. He's literally playing the bass, not just, you know, playing the bass. He's really like doing work on it, and it you can hear it so well. So like it for the again them being a three piece band, they make a lot of noise. But like on this record specifically, you can hear it all, and it sounds clean, and it sounds good, and it doesn't sound over or underproduced. It just it's it's a I, better I produced I, I, Dookie kind of because I mean musically it sounds like continuation of Dookie, but the more you talk about it and I think about it. The product I prefer the production of Insomniac more and Dookie. There's nothing wrong with Dookie, but if I if I was oh, no. thinking of it from that standpoint, they did way they sound way better on Insomniac. It's like a better produced Dookie kinda. They got that Dookie money. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> they got that fucking Dookie money at that point. That is true, dude. <laughs> got the Dookie yeah, money yeah. now. Yeah, right. They got that Dookie money and everything just came together. And with that, like like you said, it's like. Like I said earlier, like some people probably would think this would be an earlier record just due to its like quote unquote lack of popularity, but it sounds like a perfect continuation of the Dookie record where I can't think of many albums off the top of my head that flow so well together Yes, where you can like listen to one record and go immediately to the next without being like, whoa, this is so different or hey, they really changed it on this one or it's just like you can listen to the both records like back to back without skipping a beat and you're you're thinking you're listening to like a a nearly 30 song single album. <laughs> yeah, oh no, that that definitely I I would definitely agree with that. And I mean, like something that I noticed and we talked about this a little bit before uh before recording this, but like I I feel like I really didn't appreciate it when I first heard it because I I mean like I like, I remember Dookie when it was on the radio. Like, I guess it would have been a few years later because, like, I mean, I, I was born in 1992, so I don't remember Dookie coming okay. out per se. But I do remember yeah. hearing, like, When I Come Around in Basket Case on the radio in the night. Like, I did know who Green Day was, but, like, my real, like, interest in Green Day and, like, listening to more than the hits was when American Idiot hit. I mean, that would have been – I would have been, like, 12 or 13 in, like, 2005. And, uh, you know, yeah. like, like, I got in it to there and then heard Dookie – and then I feel like, and what I was telling you is, I kind of did a disservice to like Nimrod, Insomniac, and Warning, where I kind of got them, like I bought them all, but it was in the middle of me still really loving, you know, like really falling in love with a band and one of the first bands that I really fell in love with like that in my life. And I was just so ingrained with like Dookie and American Idiot that I think really only the last few years did I realize how good those, like those three records I just mentioned in between are front to back. Like I liked songs off them and I enjoyed them, but like even this, like doing this, like you picking Insomniac, you kind of made me realize how fucking good it is front to back where it's like not just certain songs. It's like, Oh, this album front to back works really like the sequencing of it is perfect. Mm -hmm. The songs work really well. And like you just said too, I love that idea of Dookie into Insomniac. It's like one long, like basically like pop punk masterpiece. But, like, I also wanted to bring up, and I meant to earlier, but, like, you were talking about, like, the difference in popularity and, and, like, how different this is. 
I don't know what it sold the year it came out, but I looked on Wikipedia before recording this, and as of now, even like in 2020, Dookie is diamond in uh, in the United States. I mean, altogether, it sold like 13 or 14 million, but just in the United States, it sold 10 million records. Insomniac in 2020 still is only double platinum in America. That is 2 million. So there is, like, yeah. we're not talking about the rest of the world either, but there is an 8 million copy difference in between that. Now, obviously, since then, there's piracy and Spotify and all that shit, but even at the time, and this is another funny thing I want to bring up, like, those Green Day records, Insomniac, Nimrod, and Warning, those did not sell well. Like, those not sell well when they came out. But the funny thing is, you look back now, and they did sell, like, a million records in the first year. But at that time, that wasn't good. You know, like, years later, like, now if a record went platinum, you go, holy shit. Like, yeah, records yeah. don't sell like they did. So it's like, to even go platinum is huge. Like, those numbers now are huge. But in 1995, when they released Insomniac, Maybe it went gold in the first year. Maybe. Like, I mean, if it took 25 years for it to be double platinum here, it couldn't have sold more than maybe a million in the first year. And that compared to what Dookie was doing at the time, like they're still selling Dookie hand over fist while they're selling Insomniac, but Insomniac's not selling like that, you know? Yeah, no, it, but, and it's so weird now hearing this record as an adult and really kind of being able to, break it down and kind of process it and not just listen to it being like, Oh, I remember being, you know, 10 or 12 or whatever, however old I was like listening to it on cassette. Um, I honestly think now after listening to it, you know, as an adult, I think it's a better record than Dookie. Ooh. And, like, like I love Dookie. Like Dookie always going to have a place in my heart. Insomniac will always have a place in my heart. But now as an adult listening to the records and really being able to process it, I think almost in every aspect, it is a better record. You know, maybe minus the, the quote unquote hits that came off between the two and like the popularity, but sound wise and just everything else, Insomniac takes it for me. God damn, dude, I don't want to, like, piggyback you, and I didn't even think about this before the episode, but you're almost turning me in that way because I normally, if you ask me my gut reaction or, like, fucking knee-jerk reaction is just Dookie. Like, if you ask me my favorite Green Day record, I just kind of say Dookie because it, it is. But then you're making me think now, and it's like I'm just probably kind of saying Dookie because, you know, it's one of the first ones I got into, and it is a classic but like the oh, more absolutely. I'm listening to them, you're you're kind of getting me on this where it's like production sleeker. I mean, we've already established that production's better on Insomniac. It's kind of a darker, it's kind of a darker Dookie. But I mean, there are a couple. There is some humor in there. Like, I mean, we'll get into it. But I mean, like, fucking the. Uh, I mean, the second song on the record. I mean, is is about waiting for your parents to die for inheritance. Like yeah. shit yeah. like that. Yeah. Where it's like there's still <laughs> funny. You know, there's still dark humor and there's still like you know, like that sarcastic band. It's not like they completely lost it. So it's kind of a better like meshing of the two. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and also, I mean, you named your first out, your first major label album Dookie. So, I mean, even not naming your, not naming the next one after shit is already a mature thing. Like they could have <laughs> called it anything else. And Dookie, like it doesn't matter what the, they could have called it enema of the state. And it would have been a fucking more mature, <laughs> like, like follow up to, to Dookie, which also uh, they, they apparently wanted to name it liquid Dookie. And the label said that was too obscene, 
which I don't – there's something funny about that where, I mean, it's not that it's much different, but I almost agree because I feel like Liquid Dookie puts a worse visual in my head than just an album well, called Dookie. Well, when we get to it, you know, even though they didn't get the uh, the the Liquid Dookie out, I mean, they got a music <laughs> video out that was definitely more than enough for people to handle. <laughs> I mean, the whole – like I, I'm sure they'll get brought up a couple of times, but they're they're just like Blink One Eighty Two with me, where I, I laugh at this, and I always hope people give them the credit. And I'm not talking about musically or anything like that, but the fact that both bands are not—I guess it would have been Blink One Eighty Two's second one. Actually, I'll give them two here though. Um, you know, with Green Day, you have your major label release and you name it Dookie, and then you're and like and then it sells ungodly amounts. Like, and it's kind of like we're talking about too, where it's like or you mentioned it and you're like, I don't think they thought it was going to be as big as it was. And I don't think in any way that they think uh, at the, that Dookie was going to like set them into stardom. I don't think that was ever a thought, which also makes me wonder, do you think they would have called it Dookie if they realized it was going to be as big as it was? Like, like I wonder if they wouldn't have went with that. Not that I like, I'm not I, shitting on it. No pun intended. I'm not shitting on the record, on, on the record yeah, title, no but it's like, still, you're kind of like, I wonder if they would change it. But anyway, the, the, the fucking thing I'm going down here is just how funny I think it is that you get on a major label and you get all this mainstream attention and you name your album Dookie or your Blink-182 and you put a bull's balls on your on your album cover and then the next one you call it Enema of the State and then you call the next one Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. And, like, that's just hilarious. Like, I think that's the funniest yeah. fucking thing. And then that they're mainstream. Like, these are mainstream things. These are huge bands we're talking about. And it's just hilarious to me that like they kind of took the piss out of the whole thing by like, yeah, this is, this is there's money behind this. Like we're now, a, a you know, like a seer, like we have money behind us. We're on a major label. We're going to get all this distribution. We'll be on radio and MTV. And this is what we're going to name our record. <laughs> there's something and, to respect I, there. Yeah. And obviously we're not mainly supposed to be talking about Blink here, but just because you brought it up. And the fact that Blink even named it Enema of the State, making fun of Rage Against the Machine's enemy of the state <laughs> that is fucking good like like that is a band like not many people really like fuck with as far as like poking the bear so to speak <laughs> and blink just fucking does it and like get the biggest record of their career out of like a really dumb album name <laughs> and same thing, in like, the word of it <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And like when I was a kid, I didn't know what an enema was. I just thought it was funny. I was like, "Oh, they're making fun of Rage Against the Machine." I learned what enema from my brother. I learned enema from Blink One Eighty Two, and I also learned urethra from Blink One Eighty Two. I mean, I learned about my body. I learned about like everything through Blink One Eighty Two. I heard of the word dysentery through Oregon Trail, but didn't know what it (laughs) meant until Blink One Eighty Two got it. You know what? You're right. And I, I never played Oregon Trail, so that so Dyson Terry Gary was my first introduction in that too. They really there's a lot of firsts there that uh that Blink One Eighty Two yeah. definitely uh introduced me to. But yeah, I mean and I'm I'm sure they'll come back up. The parallels of I mean, because once again, like if we're talking like nineties punk or just pop punk like really just the genre pop punk in general, those are probably the two biggest bands of all time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's still yeah. kind of mind blowing no they've only toured once. Like the Pop Disaster Tour, it's crazy that was like a one time thing. Like I feel like that yeah. should have happened but- way more. Yeah, you think, but also like it almost makes sense because like two like two of the biggest bands probably of all time in the genre, like and coming from the same state, 
Like that's true. One tour together, one tour together is super mind blowing. But it would almost be like, like if you see like these like No Effects, Bad Religion, you know, type bands that like seem to always tour with each other like constantly. And like, how many times can you say see the same tour lineup before you're like, eh? Yeah, I've seen this true. on Warped Tour all the time, and you know it gets gets a little old. But like, by all means, like if they toured even like one or two more times together, I don't think the world would have hated it. <laughs> no, I I don't think so. It'd be interesting if they did now. Um, I I don't know. It would be fun, but I think that that was the best era they did too. Like as far as we're talking like albums and stuff, because both bands at that point put out. You know, they were all names that they were touring off my favorite records, but I'm like. Green Day's playing everything from Warning and back. Like, Warning was the newest thing. And then Blink-182, mm-hmm. the newest shit they were playing was Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Like, when you think in that context, I'm like, holy shit. Like, that's a time to see them. You know, that that would have yeah. been an era. But Yeah, for sure. Um, something, now, before, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get down our tracks here in a second. But uh, I just had a couple, a couple more thoughts that I had down that I want to talk about. And Insomniac, another reason why I just thought it was such an interesting record is it's not, it's obviously not their sophomore record, but you know how people like talk about sophomore slumps and stuff. This is almost their, not that it was a sophomore slump, but like this is almost more of pressure on them probably than Kerplunk was. Like the whole sophomore thing, like with Kerplunk, I don't feel like they even thought about that. They did, they put Kerplunk out and I thought that was even better than their first record. This is the one where I think, like some of the most pressure they've ever felt. Like if like if you were to ask Billy Joe, I would imagine that the two albums most stressful and like with the most pressure to make would be would be Insomniac and Twenty First Century Breakdown. I think I think the records that come oh. after the big one, like well, because both of the Dookie and American Idiot were so fucking big that like and once again here's the other thing that you got to think about. Like we were talking about, they they probably didn't think Dookie was going to be big, and I don't think they thought American Idiot was going to be that big because at that point, like we're talking about, this band at that, like Warning sold even worse. Warning has probably sold even less copies than Insomniac has, actually. Like I'm not even joking probably. about that. Probably, and I love Warning. I, th- I think that's oh, like I, such an underrated record. It's an extremely underrated record. Like those three, basically Green Day... Anything they put out in between Dookie and American Idiot, I think, is underrated to this day, which is funny to say because they're such a huge band. But, like, those three records there, Nimrod, Insomniac, Warning, I mean, those to this day are insanely grossly underrated. Like, you know, the singles might get some love, but, like, fuck the singles. Like, the stuff on there is what's really good. Like, the album tracks are what you need off those. But when you think about that, like, American Idiot putting that out, they probably didn't have the kind of pressure you would think. I don't think they were trying to make something that became as culturally big as it was. And same with Dookie. So, like, they kind of fall into the success of those two. Now it's doing the follow-up. It's trying to it's trying yeah. to do what you're going to do with Dookie afterwards. And same with American Idiot. Because American Idiot was just as, like, those were both records that, like, we're talking about. It's like, you don't, forget that they're a punk band. Like, you can take genre out of this. It doesn't matter what genre you're talking Like, just call them a rock band. They're, those those records, when they came out, both of those records, they were the biggest thing in rock music. In 2005 and yeah. in 1994, like, they they did something that most bands can't do, and that's, like, recreate, like, the the huge... You get that, like, hype machine once in your... If you're lucky, you get it once. But to get it yeah. twice after doing a few records that were kind of panned anyways, like, to come back from that, that's fucking huge. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the pressure... The pressure on Insomniac and 21st Century Breakdown, I would imagine those had to be the two, like, most stressful ones to make. 
But like, I, I wonder too, or not even wonder, like this is, this is another thing. When you think of the era with Insomniac and I, I've been like looking up shit like from, from that time. So, I mean, I've seen him say it, but like you forget how much that whole sellout stuff, like how prominent it was in the nineties and how much it actually fucked with them. Like Billy Joe wrote about like in like there's interviews and stuff out there. Where it's like, that truly was a thing that fucked with him. Like his girlfriend, I believe left him when he signed to a major label, like, which he, oh, wow. I mean, he wrote songs about and shit. Like, you know, they were barred from uh, Gilman Street. Like, all this different stuff where it really did kind of take a toll on them where I also wonder because we, cause we sit here and I go, like, I feel like it was a continuation of Dookie. But I also almost say that where I think that they would, like, try to do something different for the next one. But it also begs the question that maybe this is all they wanted to write. Like, maybe that was the plan because it's like Dookie, they never thought Dookie was going to be huge anyways, I would assume. So maybe they weren't trying to be like, you know what I mean? Maybe they weren't trying to up the ante on Insomniac. Maybe they just wanted to write, you know, a punk record or a pop punk record. Absolutely. Like, and it's funny that you kind of just brought this up about like kind of the whole like sellout thing, which in my opinion, like listening to this record, like I said, again, as an adult, kind of being able to reprocess it, it almost in my head kind of like, like I'm not in their head thinking this, but like in my head, it almost seems like with this record insomniac is that like, yes, it's a continuation of dookie and like the lyrics are darker, you know, a little bit and like more like heavy, but like it almost feels like a more of a, like a more punk rock album than dookie was. So in between this time, if they're getting like the sellout, you know, kind of BS that they'd be getting because of the fame, the sound and like this, the music put through on this album gives me more almost of a punk rock vibe than the previous album, just because it's, yes, it sounds a little bit more produced, but it just has, I don't know. It just has more of a bite to it, more of a bit of an aggression to it. And to follow up something you said, even just a little bit earlier with, you know, the pressure of these quote unquote, like after hit record sophomore albums with all that being said, those big albums could not have happened without these records previous. So like, yes, there was, you know, Duke, I'll just kind of start there as far as the quote unquote fame of green day goes, they made insomniac in my opinion, obviously in our opinion, a great record, which led into Nimrod, which Nimrod is a great album in it of itself. And the like, uh, the last half of that record was so experimental as far as like <laughs> changing their sound that warning could not have happened Ooh. without Nimrod because of just the change in sound and the experimentation they did on Nimrod with, you know, kind of, you know, doing some more acoustic stuff and, you know, experimenting on different types of like, you know, recording processes to go into warning. And I've even heard in interviews now going into American idiot that, that American Idiot record wouldn't have happened vibe-wise if they didn't like Warning so much. Warning was such a big album for them as far as you know musical growth. Because if you listen to that record, almost all of it's like acoustics and you know just stuff that you wouldn't expect from like a Green Day band, a punk rock band. And it was just you know a lot of acoustics like in the background and just you know a wider range. But outside of kind of the quote-unquote distorted punk rock element, for them to get to American Idiot, which obviously blew up again as far as like, you know, the second coming of this 
expand and blowing them up even more. But like American Idiot would not have happened without warning and without warning would have been no Nimrod and so on and so forth. It just kind of trickles down. So in that era between Dookie and American Idiot, there is a perfect evolution of the band, which a lot of people probably didn't like just due to the fact that like Dookie was successful and then there was the pressure of Insomniac. And then they had to kind of build up themselves as artists to get kind of back to this American Idiot fame, which, like you said, they probably didn't even expect to blow up off that album, but they were just in such a perfect time when kind of punk kids and like kids my age were really kind of starting to really understand the, the view of politics and oh, just yeah. kind of seeing how kind of way, the way of the world and like me being now 32 and you know, being in high school when that album came out, like kind of seeing like, wow, like the world isn't as like rad as I saw it. Like there's some real shit going on. And like, though I crap on like the American idiot album quite a bit. Cause that's when I stopped liking them. Like as far as like following them, I feel a lot of people did that too. Yeah. But like that record was solid. It was just, that's when I was like, okay, one of my favorite bands is now getting political. Ugh, like yeah. this, this shouldn't be happening, but it needed to happen. Oh yeah, and as I mean, much as I didn't want it to, it needed to. And I, and I think too, like it ended up being it ended up being good for them. But like, I I think the political part, and also too, like I also get it. Where look at if if you if you were a fan of like, you know, just say even like say Insomniac, like say you like the dark punk parts of it. You may not be into a 10 minute fucking rock ballad. You know what I mean? Like there are parts on that where it's like, I get it. Like, and I like American idiot, but I'll also be honest. Like that was the album that got me into them. I don't remember the last time I listened to that one. Like it's one of those things where I don't hate that record. It's just, I don't listen to it. Like I did. Like when I was 12 or 13, holy shit. I, I like destroyed my disc. Like I listened to it constantly, but like now, like I can't, it's been years since I listened to that album front to back. I'll every now and then throw a song on, but like, I just don't revisit it that much. I feel like, uh, you know, I just like the older shit more now. But I do But I do look at it, though, and I go, I can't blame people who weren't a fan of what they did later on. Like, because there's some bands where I'm just like, that person's being an asshole because they don't like them because, like that, kind of the sellout thing. Like, oh, you don't like that record. Like, I feel like there's people out there, and you mentioned this. It goes back to Insomniac where there's people who thought they sold out who had Insomniac. If Insomniac came out on Lookout Records, instead of uh, whichever major label they were on, Reprise or whoever put that out, they would have liked it. Like, had that not came out on a major label, there were punk kids who were calling them fucking sellouts who would have loved Insomniac. They would have fucking loved that oh, record yeah. if it was not on a fucking major label. Now, so Absolutely. so there's people like that who I go, you just don't, like, there were people who didn't like Insomniac just because it's on a major label. And I go, you're a fucking asshole if that's the thing. Now, on the flip side of that, though, I totally get if you don't like, like, like that uh, we are the waiting or whatever it is on American idiot. If you liked the old punk stuff, like I get it. It's not, it's different. Like I totally, I, I can't piss on someone who doesn't like that. I'm fine with it. I like it enough, but I'm not mad that somebody like, I don't think that's irrational. Be like, I'm just not into what they did on American idiot or even after that, you know, later on, if what you did like was the old punk stuff. But the flip side of that is you can't be the dickhead who like, I don't like dookie because it was popular. It's like, I don't care how big it is. Like that record's just fucking good. Like had it not been on a major yeah. same with that, like not just insomniac, like dookie too. It's like, had that not been on a major label, 
that just would have been one of the like it would have been Lookout Records best selling album of the year. Like it may not have went diamond, but it would have fucking sold a bunch and punk kids would have loved it and they would have like sold out little theaters and shit. They just never would have been huge, but it's like those kids who were shunning them would have liked that had it just not been under a fucking major label, which is it's crazy yeah. to think of now. Like when in 2020 you laugh at that shit. Like people don't really yeah. care anymore. No one no one cares. Your favorite band has a fucking Patreon now. Like people just fucking give yeah. them money in all these different ways. Like no one really cares if bands are making money. And it's like now it's a silly thing. But at the time, that fucking destroyed bands. Like I mean, and it obviously didn't yeah. destroy Green Day, but like another band I was talking about uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast about albums coming out in 1995 was Jawbreakers Dear You and that that actually mm. they were on the brink of breaking up, but that record people fucking people who went to see them would turn their backs and like sit down on the ground when they saw them live if they played songs on that album. Like shit like that where like they were being disowned. So dumb. Like you're disowned because you're on a major label. We're disowning you because you don't need a day job. Like that whole thing and I don't know, like maybe someone's listening to this who was around in that era, like I would like to talk to people because it's not that people were in, even in, in well, I guess they were maybe in the minority of that, but it was like those punk kids who like, I would love to know what the mindset was. I would feel like most of them now would just say I was a dumb young teenager and it, and I was like bothered that like the band I loved was now like being put in the mainstream. But it's like some of the extremes of that. I'm just like, God damn, really? Like you like, like to affect bands that way. I'm like, that's just fucking nuts. Like, when it comes to music and, like, the quote-unquote idea of selling out, I don't think that pisses off more kids within, like, a subculture than it does, like, punk rock kids. It's the only and genre, probably, dude. probably, like, and maybe, like, hip-hop and rap. Because you, you think it broke out in the underground. Maybe nowhere near as much as punk rock. But I think when, like, an underground, like, artist breaks through... There's going to be like, oh, they lost that edge. They lost, you know, they lost the the hearts of it. Now it's all about the money because now they're making the money to buy these things. I think it happens way more in the punk rock community and it sucks because it's such like almost a staple now to call someone a sellout. Like, well, right. at least it did like in the 90s and 2000s. But like, yeah, I think those two genres of punk rock more importantly, like, that term got thrown around way too much and it annoyed the piss out of me. <laughs> it, it, it really, it, I mean, and that's a good point too, with like both genres. It's like, it's such a limiting thing where it's only a few where if you asked most, but like, if you told someone who was just like, like say you go back to the nineties and just someone was a fan of like the fucking backstreet boys. Like nobody cared if that shit was on, you know what I mean? Like if you tried to explain to someone who was a fan of like that, like shitty pop music and boy bands, like, did, do you care? Like, for one, they probably couldn't even tell you what label put it out. Like, they wouldn't even know. Like, they wouldn't give a shit. And if you told them, like, you don't like an album because, like, it came out on this major. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, what do you, like, people can't grasp that. I've heard, I've yeah. <laughs> uh, heard just musicians, like, do interviews with that. Uh, another one, Laura Jane Grace with Against Me. Like, I've heard her do interviews oh, with, yeah, like, yeah. like, people from the mainstream who, like, aren't from, like, punk music and she just talks about that because you know she doesn't get it so much now but when they signed to a major with new wave like i don't know 10 15 yeah not 10 years ago fuck like 15 years ago now yeah right (laughs) like all the shit they got for that and uh you know it's it's just like that becomes this whole thing that like 
it just fucking haunts you. But it's like what what I was getting at is like in those interviews, she'll explain that to people who aren't from the scene and it just makes zero sense. They're like, wait, what do you mean? Like, like they didn't like, like, what do you mean they were mad because, and then even before that, like that hurt them signing from uh, no idea to fat records or she's like, there were people who were pissed that we signed a fat, that was selling out. There's people who thought fucking going from no idea records to fucking fat records was selling out. Like we're not like, we're going to fucking, it's like, it's so it's fucking stupid. Any idea of like any idea of people thinking like having the possibility to make money off of what you love doing is considered selling out is so damn dumb. Like, like I, without like name dropping, um, there was a local skateboarder who was like, you know, pretty well known many years younger than me at the time. Years later, ended up becoming endorsed and getting all these sponsorships and this and that, and like kind of became the biggest name like in the area. And there was people like dogging on him just because he now was get like he made money skateboarding, like doing what he loved. And I'm like, how can you hate this kid for being good and ended up being successful and making money off of what he loves? Like, what do you love? Wouldn't you love to make money doing that? And they're like, well, yeah, but it's different. No, it's not. It's the exact same thing. Like, and if you're getting mad at someone in like the music scene that is making money off of their passion project, probably like, you know what? I'm saying it right now. Damn dozer. <laughs> <laughs> that is some, you know what, dude, I just want to send this out to anyone who's listening right now. Who's like, I don't know, they're probably like 48 years old right now who like in the 90s were like, like the re- like the people like at Gilman Street who like ban Green Day, talk shit, like you go to your zines and you write terrible things and you shun <laughs> them and you do the, you rip up flyers that you see of them. You do all these things. You're a, you're retroactively a Joser. Like even if you're like selling insurance now and not fucking into like punk, like retroactively you're a fucking Joser for doing that shit. Like. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Yeah, right? Like, they don't even care now. Like, they are. They're probably, like, in their late... Like, those people are probably, like, in their late 40s now. Because, I mean, Green Day are, like, in their late 40s. These people are, like, pushing 50. They probably don't even listen to the genre. They probably don't remember half the shit they did. But you're a fucking <laughs> Joser for, like, shunning Jawbreaker and Green Day in your fucking zines. And that whole... Bay Area seems to be one of the worst. Because both of them come from the oh, Bay yeah. Area. And that whole... Yeah. Gilman's another, which... Listen, Gilman, Gilman is legendary and like, I'm not shitting on it. I would, I fucking have taken selfies outside of there. They were sadly not open, but I drove out of my way to go there just to take a selfie outside of it. Like it's a legendary place. But with that said, like the whole way that they treated Green Day after, like I get the whole major label thing, but it's like the, and, and here's the other thing. Gilman has almost closed a couple times and Green Day has like financed it to fucking stay open. And like the irony of that, <laughs> when you're talking about like, we're banning you, you're not allowed stuff. It's like. Now they're the reason you're basically open. And the reason people I that's how I know who what Gilman's fucking street is. Like I like later on I, I learned about see I wasn't I wasn't as fucking cool as you. You fucking you start with like Operation Ivy, which just isn't fair. Like you start at like the best part. Like I didn't learn about that shit till later. <laughs> see, but like I didn't know what I was listening to. Like my brother's just playing. You were a music, punk so motherfucker, like- dude. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I just thought it was music. I didn't know what the fuck punk was. I, and my introduction to the word punk was like fucking Adam song from Blink. And I was like, okay, like this is a a cool band. And someone's like, oh, they're a punk rock band. I'm like, 
oh, I think I know some other punk bands. And I'm like going back to my brothers like, hey, punk bands, what are they? (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say, though, I mean, if you're comparing uh, the guy who said that Adam's song was punk compared to Operation Ivy, that guy might have been a Joser. I don't know who it was, but I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> if you I thought... was like in sixth grade. I was in sixth grade. <laughs> not you, whoever said it. You're not he a Joseph. Well, that doesn't matter. He's still, he's still... <laughs> this is like those people from the 90s, dude. They're retroactively Josers. I'm attacking a guy who was fucking 11 years old who said Adam's song was punk. And this is coming from someone who loves Blink-182. That dude's a fucking Joser. <laughs> No, nah, oh boy, oh nah, boy. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just fucking with him. Though, the, it is though. It's so funny now, dude. You look back at that stuff, and it's just we're in such a different time. And I, and I get like, I've been je- like, I'm sure there's bands where if I thought about it, like I was like, oh, it kind of, you know, you go, I knew that band before they were big, and it's like everyone kind of has that feeling. But I've never had such a visceral reaction that some people did. To like the the yeah. whole selling out of like the '90s and stuff, and to the point where it did affect Insomniac. I mean, Billy oh, Joe yeah. has said this, and it's like the fact that it was that big is just fucking nuts now, you know. But I mean, that yeah. being called a sellout, and then the pressure of putting out another record, and so soon, and also the fact that too, you forget they're in their early 20s. I think Billy was like 23 when Insomniac came out. They were all, you know, Mike and Trey were around the same age. So it's like actually Trey might have even been a little younger, but it's like. They're all like early 20s and you're like in one of the biggest bands in the world. But then there's also so it's like you have that side of you. But then you also have the other side where all these people who were bringing you up on the first two albums and the community and the scene that you grew up in and were a part of are now shunning you. So you kind of have this very weird like where is your home base? You know what I mean? Like the people who Mm -hmm. originally brought you up and were the reason you were established and really got signed to begin. Here's the other thing about that, which people don't think about. The reason that an A&R person would come and look at them play or that a major label would want them was because they were popular in their scene. Like the whole thing yeah. about like like the people who would shun them for selling out, that when they were going to their shows and buying their albums and stuff, that's why a major label wanted them in the first place. They were getting popular. Yeah, you are, you are the reason. <laughs> it, they really are. Like you think about that and you go – Dude, if they if an A and R guy showed up to to fucking Gilman Street and three people were there, they wouldn't sign Green Day. They wouldn't fucking like sign. One of them is their uncle. Yeah, dude, yeah, dude. Fucking like Billy Joe's uncles in the fucking crowd, and one of the guys I'm counting as a sound man. That's one of the three. Yeah. Like, like that shit. Like they yeah. wouldn't sign them. They signed them because they were getting big in their scene. But then you have that whole, the whole thing that established you is now gone. They're all calling you fucking sellouts. You don't really feel they probably didn't feel at home with major labels and like a lot of the radio rock bands that, you know, they were playing with. So it's like you're kind of in this weird area on top of like I was saying, you're in your early 20s and you're trying to navigate all this. And it's I think what you get is insomniac. So that's you know, that's that's kind of what you end up getting out of it. So I guess I guess what we do now, like we uh, told the fine people fucking uh an hour ago yeah yeah an hour ago <laughs> i wasn't gonna say it but yeah an hour ago and now we're gonna go track by track down this motherfucker and uh there we go we we're gonna start here we actually let me get my notes real quick folks i'm not even gonna edit this part out let me let me get my fucking notes here <laughs> fuck it well, while you're getting your notes let's just remember this album has 14 songs and it's like a half hour long like and almost every song is like two and a half minutes or under. 
Like it is such a good punk album. <laughs> oh fuck! It. Oh dude, like it it really is. It's like it's just a fast dark. Like that's the other thing. Like we were just talking about. Like it's such a breeze. We 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 like. I, and then we'll get into it, but like I guess we kind of explained ourselves when we were originally talking about like how this felt darker and stuff. Then we get into like, yeah, everyone who used to like you fucking hates you. You're not allowed to play in at Gilman anymore. Like you're on a major label and you feel soulless. Like maybe that's why it was dark. <laughs> I think we explained. Yeah, right? I think we might have explained it ourselves. Like maybe that's we why this record. The is. Case. Yeah, dude. I think I think you know what? Time to go fucking home. I think we cracked the case of uh, Insomniac. But uh, all I'm, right. let let's start with the, <laughs> let's start with the uh, opener. Um, Armitage is it Armitage Shakes Shanks? I never know how to say that first word. Armitage. Yeah, yeah I, I uh, yeah I say Armitage. <laughs> it's a fucking weird. It's a weird word. We can establish that. Might be a weird word, but uh, I mean it's a great opener. I mean from the beginning, oh. like that's that drum intro from Trey is just fucking solid. Mm-hmm. Like to open the record yeah. that way. It, it's great because. Like we were saying earlier, like this album is a great continuation of Juki, and this song like is the epitome of that. I like, yeah, it, it's a great, it's a continuation like of the best parts of Dookie too. That's the other thing. Like this song, in my opinion, it sounds like you'd be on Dookie because it emulates like the best. Like not even that it sounds like one specific song on Dookie. It just has all of the no. best parts of it, like the best elements mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, and even that drum intro, I remember. Uh, back in like high school, and like this is when my friends like were more like into like you know, American Idiot Green Day, and like I remember hearing uh, American Idiot and not really caring about the song itself. And then someone like played the beginning of it, not the beginning, but you know, like uh, the, Trey does a, a drum part in American Idiot that's very similar. Oh, like right after the intro. first chorus, I think. It's like yes. right at, yeah, first, re- first chorus. Because I remember hearing that, and at the time I'm like, he did that before. That's in another song. Like, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, no, it's definitely somewhere. I know this. And it didn't, it, it did not dawn on me where I heard it from until I was like, you know what? Let's, let's do this. Let's do this review on this album. I'm going to start from the beginning. And I heard that. I'm like, Oh my God. I remember this conversation from high school. (laughs) Dude, that's a great, I never thought of that before, but I know exactly what drum part you're talking about. American idiot. And you're fucking spot on. I've never made the connection. It's not not identical by any means, but it's close (laughs) here. But here, here's the thing. It may not be identical, but it's like the flanger on fucking bored to death where you're like, it's not feeling this, but you just did the same thing that you did before. You you did it. You did it. I mean, it's fucking ice, ice, baby, and under pressure, really. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's maybe not, like, like maybe he hits one, like, maybe it's not, I don't even know, like, I can't talk fucking music theory as far as drums go, but, like, maybe he doesn't hit on the four on the fucking American Idiot one, and he does on the Armitage Shanks one, but it's the same fucking yeah. beat, basically. <laughs> Which I'm but not yeah, sure. Really, like, it's I'm, good. Yeah. Oh no, I, I love it. it. It's just funny that like I remember back in the day being like, "Oh, this song sucks," but like this drum part sounds familiar, and not even connecting the dots until doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that's that's insane. I never I never thought of that, but it also it also makes you think like like Trey Cool 
is is one that I don't I like even me like I'm gonna call him an underrated drummer, but even from my standpoint because I like him, but I don't think of him a lot. Like is like when I think of like really good drummers, he doesn't pop in my head. But as we're talking about some of the shit he does and like the in like I mean he makes this song he really makes the record because that's the first thing you hear like he mm-hmm. fucking comes on and you're like oh shit like it sets you up for just a solid fucking record. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like and. And anytime I listen to a new album from a band that I like, if the first song doesn't pull me in immediately, not that I'm going to shit on the rest of the album, but it takes my immersion completely out of it. Oh, dude, 100. Dude, like there's album intros are like the most important thing. Like you and I and I think that's for most people, though, too, honestly, because that's the first thing. I mean, unless you hear like the single, that's probably the first thing you're going to hear off of it. So your impression Right off the bat, yeah, it has to be, to be. Yeah, it has to be good. Like, like, I'm not saying like this has happened, but like, if like, say this album came out right, and then the follow it, follow it up, like, say Green Day, like the first song, say on like Fake Nimrod was like a really weird like like Good Riddance acoustic. I mean, I like that song, but I guess maybe it's like. But I mean, yeah, imagine if that was track like, one. Yeah, if good written, yeah. If that was track one, that would have completely like took me out of my element as far as like, oh, I'm getting psyched. I'm getting psyched. <laughs> Acoustic, really? Yeah. But, I mean, it's a great song, regardless. Oh, yeah. But it probably would have taken my emergence out of it. And this album, this song does not do that when it comes to following duty. And I, I think the other thing too with intros, like it doesn't even have to be that it's a, a bad, like a bad song, but even you can do something like that where it might be a good song. But if that's how you, because you're setting the tone for the record, that's why. Like I always say this, my favorite album openers, all of them. If I was to write you a list, my favorite album openers, every single one starts in E major. They all have pick slides in them, and they're all like fucking probably like 150 BP. Actually, fuck that. They're probably more like. 170 bpm like it's fast it's in e major that that's why fucking the get up kids holiday to me like if you're asking me to dissect the, oh. like that like if you are how do you open a record like i'm gonna i'm going off on a little tangent I, i'll keep this short but if you're gonna ask me like how do you make a great opening song i'm gonna play that for you those motherfuckers start with a pick slide they don't even waste time they're like Fuck you before there's one chord of mute. They don't even hit an E chord first. There's a fucking pick just slide. Straight pick slide. Just right away. And it's like, there you go. Like, that's another one where, like, look at, I love all the songs on that record, but had they started, like, I'll catch you, the last song on the record. If that was the first song on the record, it'd be weird as fuck and would give you this weird, like, like, it just would. It would be, I was talking to the dudes in Midtown when I interviewed them for Save the World, Lose the Girl, and I forget what song it was, but... I think it was another boy. Their producer, Mark Trombino, wanted another boy to be the opener off that record. And I'm like, yeah, that's a right, terrible it was, it was fucking a idea. Song. Yeah, like that's a bad, yeah, bad. You couldn't do that. Like I, that's a good it, song, but just rock and roll has to open that. You need that fucking I, it, energy. It's funny. I, I did listen to that episode, and I remember hearing that and being like, really? Yeah, get the that's fuck out, they, Mark Trombino. Want. That's what he wanted, but like. I like that song, but it's perfectly placed where, it's, where it is in the album. Like, no, that's what I'm saying. It's not even a thing that the that the album opener is like a shitty that it has to be a shitty song. It can be a good no, song, not. but if you place the wrong one as the opener, it will just because it does it sets the mood. So it's like if you're putting something weird or like slow or like 
Like, I'm not a big fan of intro, like intro intros. You know when they do like right. instrumentals, like a thirty from, second like instrumental. Yeah, okay, fuck okay. that shit. I hate that it, shit. It, I, I'll say this just because of the the, the subgenre of it. I love when like easy core bands do it because <laughs> usually it starts with some it. really chill, and then they usually come in with some rad breakdown. <laughs> You know, you know what though? I will give that a pass because that is a that is a style. Like that is a thing in that genre. Like cuz you are absolutely right. And I will even give that a pass because in that genre itself, it does work in what it's doing. Like it does serve a purpose. Yeah, I guess if you did like a a really fast like 35 second to a minute like pop punk punk rock intro. I mean, some bands could probably pull it off, but like I, I don't know. I guess yeah, I guess I'd need something to really, like, I would need something really rad to make me commit to, like, that fast of an intro song from, like, a pop punk, punk rock band, I guess. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and that's what... Yeah, uh, yeah you're right. G- getting getting back to, I mean, the song, it's like, that's what makes Armitage... I, I'm gonna, I'm probably say it, like, five different ways. Because really, I don't know that I've ever said the song title out loud, actually. I don't know, no, I don't know if neither. you do that, but, like... Since doing the radio show the last few years, I realized how many song titles, like not just of Green Day, but just of bands that I've never said out loud, that I go, how the fuck do you even say, like, I'm just butchering them. I'm like, I guess, I guess I never said a lot of song titles out loud before. Like, it just sounds weird. Like, I had the cassette of this. Like, my brother gave me a cassette of this album, like, way back in the day. Um, And I would just listen to it, and, like, all the song titles were on the cassette. But, like... I just knew like what songs I liked and I would just like try to fast forward and play, fast forward and play until I found the song. And I didn't really know the song titles because once I got the CD, like it just said Green Day Insomniac, a burned copy of the CD. So like it didn't even <laughs> have the song titles on it. So like without the cassette at that time, I wouldn't have known like any of these song titles until I like gone back and listened to it and been like oh so that's the name of this song okay then never say it again until now yeah no that that's what i do and uh you know and uh yeah i mean going going down the list too i mean like is there anything else on this song you kind of want to like touch on before we get to the second one um i mean it's a good song like it it, there's really I, i don't know it just it just makes me feel good like listening to this, like as a kid listening to Dookie and then listening to this and being like, yep, I I like this. I like this album. I like the sound. I like the speed, like the vibe lyrics, even though the kid, I couldn't really understand him because his, uh, the way he sings is so interesting. (laughs) I still don't know what he's saying half the time. I'll be honest. I still don't know half the fucking time what he's singing on half their songs. Yeah. But like hearing it, and this is like a terrible take on it as far as like, we're, we're reviewing an album and we don't know any of the lyrics or whatever. <laughs> but no, it was just the, the, the entire vibe of the song. I could not have picked probably a better song off this album to be like, you know what? This song should be number one. This song. Oh, it's, it's Armour Takes uh, Shanks or however you say it. <laughs> it. And it is. It's like if we're talking uh... – it's probably one of my favorite songs off the record. Not in my top three, but if we were doing like top five, I would probably put this at either five or four. Like this is yeah, this is a solid song. There. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I mean the the uh, before we get to the second one, I mean, I guess the other thing I would add to it, and I actually meant to uh, talk about earlier, like wait, like bef- 
fucking you talked about it way earlier on and I meant to say something, but like a dynamic that works really well in Green Day and you hear it on this song. Oh, you were talking about the, uh, it works perfect with this because you were talking about the production, how everything comes through and Mike's bass comes through and how he's not playing just root notes. What people may not realize, and I may be biased because I'm a bass player, so I like to write music this way, but what Green Day does really well is if you're listening, because you can hear the clarity of that record, I think part of it is Billy Joe was playing simple power chords on a lot of those songs. There's not 50 layered yes. guitars. There's one guitar. Yes, he was. It's fucking awesome. that he, It's so simple musically as far as guitar playing. Oh, dude, he he's playing. like When you talk about three-chord punk, if you listen to that, you can hear him play that. <laughs> the reason that it's like... Like, the real push on there is Mike Dern's bass playing. Like, he's not, like, mm-hmm. if he was only, like, people who don't really know music, like, it may not make sense what I'm saying, but if he was just playing, here, I'll put it this way. If he was playing, like, Mark Hoppus, and he was just kind of playing root notes yeah. and playing, like, straight eights, it would sound totally, Green Day wouldn't, Green Day would then sound like Blink-182, I guess, but it would not sound like, like, people don't realize that it's like, the way that he's playing and like that movement and shit is normally what like not that he's playing the notes that a lead guitar would, but he's kind of doing what you couldn't do if they were a quartet and you had a lead guitar in there. He couldn't do the shit yeah. he was playing. It wouldn't Less than Jake's another one like that, where like his bass play Roger's bass playing is so good because there's not he's not playing up against two or three guitars. There's one clean guitar that's just playing chords. And that gives all this freedom and space for the bass to really do shit that people aren't. Because really, Mike Dern is. Mike Dern has to be, he's up there, I think, one of the best like punk rock bass players. Like He really, Absolutely. he's fucking good. His groove, and then his his tone, too. I think he plays oh, yeah. Gibson Ripper, is it? I think he plays. He, he's not like a Fender Something guy. Something like that. No, yeah, it's definitely a Gibson. I don't know the, the, the model off I think the top of my head. It might be a Ripper. A Gibson, and it's. And yeah, his tone is so good because it's not super trebly, but it's not super warm. It's this really nice fine medium, and it's it's a tone I really like because it doesn't it doesn't sound bad against the distorted guitar with like the, with the warmth yeah. of it. But also like there's not like it's got a lot of good mids because there, there's not a, like enough treble on it where it's almost like it cuts through too much for it almost overrides the guitar yeah. in a weird way. No, I, I, I was actually about to say you were just because not the highs, but I think you're dead on with the mids. Cause what I was about to say is he's not that punchy, which would, that would be part of it. His, his highs aren't, he doesn't have these crazy highs. So it's like the bass isn't really punchy. It comes through, but like the attack of it isn't like, like it doesn't hurt your ears. It doesn't sound weird. It doesn't come in odd. He's in this really good pocket of not being too, you know, it's not too deep bass where you can't hear it at all and you can only feel it, but he's also not so high up that it's just like, like you can hear it, but it just sounds like a really like fucking high punchy notes and just almost, Mm -hmm. you know, like just isn't fun to hear. Like sometimes there's, there are bass playing sometimes like, like I love Ernie Ball Stingrays. They're one of my favorite basses, but there's times where people play those in songs and the highs are just too much for it. And that punchiness comes through not in a good way. And he has this really good in between that he's playing. Like you're talking about where like the mids are just fucking sweet. Like he's right yeah. there in the mids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, he fucking yeah. solid bass playing on this song. And uh, yeah, it was just something I want to bring up because you brought that up earlier with production. And I think you're absolutely right. Where they shine on this is Billy Joe. You can hear like, if you want to play a long, if you wanted to just, if you're learning guitar and you want to just start playing along to records, 
this is a really good one to do it because he you Absolutely. can hear it. Like that one guitar that he's playing, like it's not so fucked up and distorted that you can't tell what he's playing. There's not a bunch of guitars over it. Like it's so simple that like if you're just trying to learn chords and just really follow along to to songs, this is a great record for that. Really good and, record and, for I, it. Yeah. After listening to this record, like again, and like breaking it down, like I haven't done this in uh, 15, almost 20 years, where I actually want to go back and try to learn an entire album on guitar. Oh, hell yeah. And I want to do that with this, because like, I never like formally, quote-unquote, formally learned or like, tried to like learn a bunch of songs off this album. It was just like brain stew because of that one riff. And that's pretty much it. But there's songs on here that we'll get to later that like I didn't know that like subconsciously were like influences on like um the types of songs i wanted to like but we'll get there when we get there oh totally and i like i like too like with his guitar playing and we'll get to the second song i swear but like (laughs) something something that i like about green day chord progressions um definitely with billy is he'll do the three chord punk thing but if you really look he likes to do like there's always this little added thing like he'll just be three playing three chords but like in the last measure He'll they'll throw in. I think she is kind of like like I'm trying to think of how to say this in words. Like I know what I'm trying to say, but putting it in words is kind of difficult. But they'll play it straight and play the three chord thing. But then they'll do like the na 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 like just throw yeah. in the shit at yeah. the end that like duh, you know what I mean. So you're not just playing a one four five. You're not just playing a, a chord progression like that just straight through. They're throwing these little things in at the end of there. That I mean, it adds to the music. It pushes it forward and stuff, and it makes it more than just you know, like because that can be difficult too. Like playing as a trio, the opposite of doing it so simple like that is that it can be really fucking boring. You know, like if you're just playing yeah. power chords on a guitar, it could be bland on there. Like I said, like with Mike, you know, if he was just playing like fucking root notes, like it would sound bland. But you know, the way Mike is playing bass and the way that they're Billy's kind of adding these like kind of resolutions, I guess you would call it more than anything, and kind of like cadences with the uh, progressions, it adds something to it. And uh, I just, I think this record in particularly, they do that very well. That's something that they do mm-hmm. on this album quite a bit. But uh, moving on now to Brat, I like right away the thing that, that gets me on this, and I'm always a fool for it, is songs that just start with vocals. I love, I love that this is the second track. His voice comes in. And it punches you in the fucking face, and it's just it's it goes on, it, it picks up right where Armitage kind of leaves off, and like it just it's another one where it's like, yep, this is gonna fucking hit you in the face. This is this is a fast mm-hmm. punk yeah. number. It's fun. Like I was talking about earlier, I mean the fucking songs. I mean, and it's sarcastic. I'm I assume, but and I think it's also kind of a a little like take on you know like like I guess like rich kids and shit, but like just sitting around waiting. For your parents to die so you get their inheritance like you listen to the lyrics yeah. and they're dark but they're funny like mm-hmm. it, you know it, it goes uh, i mean like like as far as uh I, I feel like i drag them up and everything but like the replacements being one of my favorite bands and i know being a band that has influenced billy joe so much and all of them i know that was like a uh when they started out like the replacements and husker do were like two of the biggest bands that mike and uh billy were into and kind of got them uh you know become friends but, like, I, I just know how much the replacements and Paul Westerberg's songwriting, like, how much, like, 
his affected Green Day, which a lot of people probably don't realize just because there's a lot of Green Day fans who just never heard the replacements where they don't sound, the replacements don't sound like Green Day and Green Day don't sound like the replacements like dead on. It's the songwriting. It's the way he writes his lyrics. It's kind of the attitude and shit that he kind of borrows or is influenced by from that. But this is one of those Mm -hmm. ones where it reminds me of the replacements where it's this, it's this subject where it's like, you're, if you just listen to the song, you don't pay attention to the lyrics. You wouldn't think anything of it. But if you actually look at the lyrics, you're kind of like, that's interesting. Like that's a, <laughs> that's different. Yeah. A lot, a lot of this album, like now that I'm older and like, I can actually like really like understand the lyrics. Like grow, grow, as a kid, like I didn't really like, I love the music of this record, but this song in particular, like I love the music and I would kind of like fake mouth the song. I knew the song had like mom and dad in it. Cause it said, you know, a couple times. Um, up until and can I like, say this real quick up until I think yeah. it was today. I looked up the lyrics. I thought he said they have hangovers from hell. And just about a day ago, did I realize that's not what he's saying? <laughs> oh yeah. No, trust me. There's, yeah, I got something else later, but yeah, like, oh, God. I, I, I knew in the chorus, like I knew what the chorus was, but like it, like the, because of the verses were so weird to me as a kid, like it, didn't really make sense. I just kind of would like fake the words and then the chorus would come in and then I would sing the chorus and then I would just, that was it. I would just fake it, not knowing what the words were, but now kind of looking back at it, like listening to it and breaking it down. Like, yeah, like, like it's, it's lyrically such a weird, dark song and it, it, it gives me such a, a great vibe because of the, uh, the, the lyric like the subject matter with the music because like that's stuff that I always wanted to do musically was like write these really upbeat songs that have like darker lyrical elements and now I'm not a lyricist by any means but like when I was trying to that would be kind of like the vibe I'd want to give was dark to like really fun dark lyrics to really fun music and the song really does it because like as a kid I just didn't know and as I got older and then listened to it I was like man this song is like what I wanted to do with music, but I didn't know how to do it. You know, and because it it's funny and it's dark, but yeah, it's just got a great vibe to it. Like this is this is, I guess, just total speculation between you and I because we we don't know. I mean, I, I guess I could call up my close personal friend Billy Joe, but uh, I won't. I'm sure he's busy. <laughs> but like, like talking about how like we can't really tell what the lyrics are and just how you were like mimicking that, you know, like kind of getting the gist of it. Do you feel like, and I, I'm trying, I'm kind of starting to think about this. I never had before, but like on a song, I guess we can go specifically with this song. Do you feel like he had a melody in his head before the lyrics? Like, which do you think came first, the music or the lyrics? Because I get this feeling that because it meshes so well, but just like the way that it works well with the song, I feel like he almost just had a vocal melody in his head and then came up with the lyrics after. Because the way that it like grooves with the music, the way it fits in there, not that the lyrics are bad. I don't mean this as a bad thing, but they were almost an afterthought. Not a bad way, but in the way where they didn't come first. He had in whatever you call it. There's a lot of musicians who will do that. who do like a scratch track before they even have the lyrics where they just do. Mm-hmm. You just say gibberish. You just go, this is my melody. And da, 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 like whatever. And I feel like he might have did that. This might be one of those songs where he did that. Like it's speculation, but no. do you see what I'm talking about? A hundred percent because... I like I 
tried doing that before, like when I was writing songs like with my band. I'm like, I don't know the lyrics. I don't know what they'd be, but I feel like with this riff or this lead, they would kind of go like that. And I, I guarantee not only does he do that a lot, but like I'm sure he himself even has trouble trying to like fit lyrics in these melodies because there's times where like not only does he sing like really fast, but his tone is so unique like his yeah. vocal range and like the way he does it or like if you're reading these lyrics like like they don't like the melody doesn't flow well like if you're just reading them but like when you hear it there's a lot of times where like he's like he's like hiding words within a line because it doesn't sound like that in the delivery oh totally you know you know what another one that kind of makes me think of that is I, for some reason, remember this. When I bought Nimrod, I had never heard... I didn't, I only heard the singles, but I remember looking at the liner notes before listening to it, and I remember the Grouch just hit, which ended up being one of my... The Grouch is probably one of my favorite songs on Nimrod. I think it's a very underrated one. Yeah. But it's one of those ones where it's like what you're talking about. I read the lyrics, and it intrigued me before I heard it because I'm like, well, this is interesting. How is this in a song? I'm like, how would this fit in a song? And then you listen to it. I almost feel like that's another example of that where I go he had a vocal melody in his head that worked really well. And I feel like the lyrics came after like the way yeah. that they fit in there. Like even the way he's like the world, like the world owes me. So fuck, I'm not even going to try to do it. But the world owes me. So fuck you yeah. like that part and stuff. Like yeah. the way he has it, that was a vocal melody before he ever had those words. Like that was, I feel like he had that idea. And another one too would be not green day, but fallout boy. I feel like does this too, where there's songs where you go, that vocal melody, like Sugar We're Going Down is like that, where you can't tell what the fuck he's saying half the time, but the reason people like it and you can like like fucking mush mouth along to it and pretend like you know what the fuck you're singing is, is just because that vocal melody, you have that first and then the and then like the lyrics were an afterthought. Like it and not yeah, a, once again, not a bad way. It's just you did it didn't start with some lyrics. I don't feel like he wrote the lyrics to Brat and then sat down with the guitar and tried to fit it in a song. I feel like the song came and then he tried fitting lyrics into the song. Like that's the vibe Absolutely. I get from I, it. I'd 100% agree with you on that. And also I got to say too that the the uh, going back and uh, giving more compliments to Mike's bass playing, the uh, little bass runs he does at the end of the choruses on Brat, like that mm-hmm. little is so fucking good. Like that's another one of yeah. those ones oh. where if you had three guitars over it or like you know the guitars were ringing out and shit, would not work. As a trio, no. like that's another song where they just the whole time they're on fire. That's a great one where it's an example of just because there's a few songs on here where it's like, oh, like like we were talking about earlier and we'll get back into Brain Stew. There's obviously more than one guitar and shit. There's a couple of these where even if they layered it to make it a little louder, he didn't do, you know, different guitar tracks. There's not like a lead and a rhythm and a second rhythm. Like maybe they doubled some guitar in a couple places just to make it beefier. But there's not a bunch of he didn't like do a bunch of studio tricks. Like this is a record no, that you no, record and then could go play live. Like this is not a record yeah. where it's like we can't replicate this. This is like, nah, fucking three people can replicate this. Yeah. I, I would love and I wrote this down like for like the ending, but like I'll just say it now because it's brought up. I would have loved to like if they ever did it. If they did like say for example this year, they did a twenty you know, 25 year anniversary of insomniac, like live stream or whatever. Oh, like yeah. it's one of the, they, cause like if you watch, they have a third, like they have a, a 
fourth member kind of behind like the amps, like, you know, or that second guitar player they have now or whatever, like they have him to kind of fill in things. They don't need that for this record. No. You can literally just put the three of them out there and it it's going to sound identical because you don't have to worry about like a guitar lead with a rhythm. You don't have to worry about that. It is just the three guys and they can play every part without needing extra members. And it'd be so much fun to watch. You know, you, you have me thinking now because I've, I've never seen them do this, but I mean, I know they've played Dookie front to back quite a few, which I think is fucking awesome. Like they've done that multiple times in their career where they'll just sometimes not even for an anniversary. I think they've just played shows before I've seen where they're just like, yeah, fuck it. We'll play Dookie front to back. Which I think is amazing, but I want to see video. So when it is like you get there, just like yeah, fuck it, we're gonna. You remember that album that sold a fuck ton of records? Like remember that album that everybody loved? Yeah, we're gonna play that front to back. We'll just do that. Like I, th- I think we'll just do that. But like now, yeah. I want to go watch video of it because you bring up a good point. Because I feel like that may be the same thing with this. If you tried to play this album front to back like in a live setting, you might fuck it up having like. Because they don't even have one guitar. I think they have, like, two or three backup guitars, and I think a dude who plays keys, maybe not on every song, but, like, if you go, there are other members up there. There are a few. And, mm-hmm. one, and once again, it's a it's a thing that bands do when they play arenas like that. Like, it is a big thing of filling out the sound. Like, there's a lot of bands who will tell yeah, you that. Yeah, of course. So it's like it's not even shitting on them, but it's like if you have too much going on, on like, if you listen to Brat, if you had, like, a live setting and, like, we're going to add like an, a solo that wasn't in there. And you know, there's like keys under it and shit. It just, it will, it will take away a bit. Like, I don't want to do too much. This isn't shitting on, but a criticism I have that kind of goes along with this. If you see the starting line now, they have a keyboard player when they're live. And I mean, on later songs, it makes sense. Like the direction songs, some of the based on true story songs. Now, there are some, though, that they play on Say It Like You Mean It, and I'm not shitting on them. I've seen them live multiple times. I always enjoy it. So this is not like a bashing starting line. But it takes away, honestly. There's times where I saw them live where he was playing keys on some of the older songs, and they also kind of slowed it down a little. And I'm like, you just took out, like, the things that, like, you just took out why I like this song. Like, sometimes that stuff mm-hmm. adds to it, but you can also take away from it. And I think this this record, you bring up a great point saying that, this record would have, I think, would hurt had they, uh, which also the other thing being their second record on a major label, thank God that, you know, there weren't like people at the label were like, we need to like, you know, we're going to really produce this and we're going to, you need this on this record. Like, cause here's the other thing for as much as people were shitting out, like we were talking about the sellouts and all that and major labels in the nineties. Um, I don't feel like they were really fucking with Green Day in the studio. This doesn't sound like a commercial record. Like, if you ask me, no. they were pretty fucking laid back. Like, this is the the covers not like like that's the other thing we were talking about too about the reaction of being so big. In a lot of ways, I think Green Day purposely tried to do this record and not make it mainstream friendly. Like, they didn't go the way of well, now that we're big, we have to like do this and that. They went the opposite way and were like, well, no, we're punks and. You know, we, you know, the, the album cover shows that, you know, we, we, you know, all the songs fucking curse in it. Like none of them are really, they're not jolly songs. They're not super happy or uplifting. Like they didn't play into that. You know, they didn't play the game, but you also have to give credit to the major labels who went, fuck it. Like put it out. Like they released it. Like you got to give them that much credit. You're like, I feel like that album could have came out on an indie label and would have sounded weird. Like 
it they really didn't make them do anything really like you said they just had dookie money that's it they just had yeah. better production like outside of that yeah the label didn't really fuck not, with yeah. them no like I, I maybe like i feel like the label were still trying to figure out what they had that's, yeah that that might be true because you are and the other thing too is they might just be happy because at that time, like we said, it was so soon after Dookie that Dookie was still selling so many fucking records that they're probably just like, we don't give a shit what you guys do. Like, it's just going to sell. Like, you could do a fucking polka record if you want. Like, we don't care. Like, <laughs> like this album Dookie is still like, but you got to think about it, 1995, because I think about it like, like, like I said, I don't, I don't remember the album release of Dookie. I was too young, but I do remember American Idiot and they were releasing singles for that for literally years i think that yeah, album, like that album came out i think in 2004 and they were still releasing singles in 2006 they were more minor like they did like the music video for jesus of suburbia and obviously that really wasn't getting radio airplay but you know like the video yeah. got played and stuff like they were minor singles they're one of those things like a lot of records are like that where like there's two songs that are fucking well, massive and you forget that there were a, a well, couple others that were singles well, this record in my like it's full of minor, minor singles. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're, you, I would say like outside of uh, oh, I'm a fucking moron. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I'm a fucking moron, folks. Um, Zet or <laughs> Kyle, you you didn't know that, but I was uh, we have sensor lights in this room, and they just went off, so I had to move back and try to turn them on. But I was talking to you as I was doing it, forgetting that I was thirty feet from the microphone. So uh, I don't think anyone, <laughs> I don't think anyone heard what I was just fucking saying. So I apologize that if you heard uh-huh. me faintly yelling from across the room, it's because I was talking to to Kyle through my phone, and I was not up to this microphone that you're hearing me from now. But anyways, <laughs> anyways, um, my apologies for that. Yeah, like there are there are a lot of records like that where you have or no, like you were saying with this where the this thing is chock full of minor hits, like not. Like Brain Stew's a huge fucking hit, we can say that. But mo- and actually, we're about to get to the uh, next mm-hmm, song here. Which mm-hmm. what, what, I, mm-hmm. I feel like the way you're saying, mm-hmm, you probably have the same views as I do with it. Where it's insane that it was only a minor hit, but like this one's <laughs> full of fucking minor songs, which is which is kind yeah. of sad. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I feel like that's what po- possibly took away from this album as far as popularity goes is that there only was really one big hit and even that like still got overshadowed by everything dookie put out as far as hits are concerned but like i guess i'll do the segue into this but uh fuck with me like this song is so solid like i get why it's a hit i don't get why it doesn't get the airplay i'll never understand it like Oh my god! Like the the guitar intro is nothing complex. I mean, we kind of talked about this earlier with just like you know, like three chord punk rock songs and stuff like that. And like it's it's captivating. This very well could have possibly been an intro song for the, for the album, but like Ooh. that, like the, the, I'm not saying it should. I'm just saying like, I guess no, that's I, like the I, closest similarity you, I could think of. You got me thinking um, though. I mean. Like it just like it kicks right in like it like my like if it didn't do like you know Armitage uh, Shank has the drum fill this just has this just goes right into it that's it yeah. it goes right fucking into it there is no the, I mean yes there is an intro but there's really no intro if you get what I'm saying yeah 
yeah like and they made a video for it which was basically just like kind of them playing the song oh black like, and white with with their album art kind of like kind of sprinkled in throughout in between like shots and I can, visually i can see why that would just be like a throwaway single visually because the video really doesn't do anything for it but the song itself is super solid like oh yeah i get i have probably one of my favorite like quirky little lyrics uh on the album it's the find another pleasure seeker and throw them down to hell oh i like that like it's just such a it's just like a I don't know. It's it's not, but it's like a kind of like a like fuck these guys. Like it's almost you know what? Even though the song is probably not about this, but like now talking about it, I now have a new light visually in my head that just turned on. Is that like it's almost like the people that are like, oh man, Green Day sold out with this album. You know, like I don't want to hear it. Well, well, fuck you. Like if you're just looking to find the next hot thing and like hoping that we're going to put out this next banger of an album, well, fucking go to hell. We're just going to do what we want. I don't care. I don't care about pleasuring you. Like I want to do what I want to do. Fuck off. Oh yeah. I feel like there's a lot of that on this record. I mean, there's, and really it's, it's funny. I I forgot to bring it up during it, but like uh, on the first, I mean, Armitage Shanks, I kind of felt like that song could have been, about kind of a fuck you to those people and like, you know, the dealing with the success. The only reason that I know it's not that is I looked it up afterwards and that was written actually pre-Dookie, which for one makes sense why it works so well with the continuation. But also, had I not known that it was written pre-Dookie, I would have definitely thought that Armitage Shanks was kind of like what you're talking about, where I thought lyrically it's a song about like dealing with the pressure of success and also kind of a fuck you to people. Like, the alienation that, you know what I mean? Like, if you listen to it, I almost, and it still works, even though he wrote it before it, but the alienation that I think he felt, you know, like I was talking about too earlier about how the old people who liked you no longer like you. You're not welcome where you came from. Like, you you can't go back home, basically. But you're also in this weird, navigating this weird world of major labels where, Really, that was still fairly new for punk bands to be on majors. I mean, not that they were the first one, but they're one of the first ones to really sell and to kind of navigate, mm-hmm. you know, those murky waters. Because you forget that, too. Like, yeah, Offspring and shit sold, and so did Rancid, but those were both on Epitaph. Those weren't on – they may have had the distribution yeah. of a major label, but they weren't on a major label like Green Day was. So Green Day is really one of the first real big punk bands on a you know on a big label and on a big scale like that. So, like – I totally could see the first song on that record being about the alienation of feeling that and the loneliness and just wondering, like, am I doing, you know, like, are we doing, is this right? You know, obviously it's not because once again, Mm -hmm. it was written way before, but yeah, I think you hear that a lot on here. And I mean, stuck with me definitely has those two where it's kind of like, I bet that's about going through what we're talking about where it's like this whole record is during Dookie being so fucking huge, you know? And, and it's, it's interesting too, because I was just looking this up as you were saying it on Wikipedia, but how like the the video really wasn't much like it's kind of a minor hit, but I was looking up. It was the second single for the record, which you would think they would have pushed more. You know, maybe it's just has to do with maybe the mainstream just didn't enjoy it. But I would think like I would have thought it was a throwaway, like one of those ones they they put on way later that actually came out before Brain Stewart Jaded. That was that was after Geek Stink Breath was. Geek Stink Breath was their first <laughs> single, which I yeah, will also, which, that's, that we'll get into too. But like, 
as far as too as you having your kickoff video and single for the album but you would think stuck with me considering that yeah the video wasn't much and that it doesn't feel like it ever got pushed all that often that it's like that's surprising you would have thought that they just put that out in like you know like 96 or like after like a year after the record came out just like here's a way to kind of promote it a little more like you would not think that was one of the leading singles off the record you know See, I can picture it being a leading single because it still has similarities to Dookie as far as just like sound and kind of aggression is concerned. Um, but yeah, like for me, like I didn't even know this was actually a hit. Like, after, like you know, growing up and like hearing the songs, like, like I didn't really see the video until like years back, um, like a year, a few years ago. Like I didn't know it existed because, um, like, like I said in like a later podcast, like I didn't really discover YouTube until like. It, like this YouTube didn't come out until like oh five oh six. Yeah. So by then, like this, that record was already, you know, ten years old at this point. And so I didn't really go back and try to find like songs that I liked and like, oh, this has a music video. Let me check this out. So like I didn't know that it was actually a hit until kind of doing some of this research, I guess, and realizing that there was like a video years ago that like I was like, oh, wow, they, that was considered a hit. I just thought maybe they made a video for a song, you know? And uh, I, I can see it being a lead single, but when we get into it, but I'll just say now, I don't get why Geek Stink Breath was the, the opener as far as, like, let's put a video out on this. <laughs> yeah, you know, that. well, yeah, no, I, I want to I wanna get into that when uh, in a second here, too. I, I, think, you're, I think you're totally – you're totally right about that. If we're talking about like how you kind of want to market this and, or the right way to market it, which I mean, I guess too the whole, the whole like hindsight 2020 thing, like obviously you want to sell as many records as you can. So like at the time the A and R like department, you know, behind them must've thought that it was a good idea, but yeah, like in retrospect, you're kind of like, it's kind of weird. Like your lead off singles, how you pushed them, like what was, you know, Mm -hmm. and once again, with the hindsight thing, for all we know, they did push it a lot in like rock radio and stuff just wasn't, you know, not even rock radio. A lot yeah. of that, I can tell you just from being in fucking like doing radio and, and working in commercial radio for a while and shit that a lot of that comes from the popularity of people listening. So it's not even that, you know, rock radio is going to shun it or go, fuck, we're not going to play anything off this. A lot of people may not like, you know, like it kind of goes back to that. Major labels want to put out what's going to sell a lot. So they're going to True. It, it's not like major labels want something to sound a certain way because that's what they personally want. They want it to sound that way because they think that's what's going to sell the maximum amount. So I mean it goes back there where it's like, yeah, we think it's weird some of their choices on this, but at the time they must have thought this is what's really going to sell the record. And you know, for whatever reason it didn't seem to work. And it's kind of fucked yeah. up too cuz now I'm thinking about it like with the singles and it's like I think it might also hurt though, because like I keep bringing up too, you're still going off singles off of Dookie. Like at this point, yeah. Basket Case is one year old. Like people are just still hearing Basket Case for the first time. Like so, you're having, you're, it's almost an overload. You know what I mean? Where it's like you're, oh, yeah. you're introducing yourself yeah. to the mainstream while also trying to put something else out right away. Like, yeah, it, there's just something. There's like. I, I don't know. Maybe this is a terrible metaphor. I mean, this this might be fucking awful. I don't. And I've done this. I feel like I do. I bring up one of these shitty metaphors every time you're on, and then you one up me with one that makes more sense. You're, you're, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, dude. So get ready, get ready to to like fix my really fucked up metaphor here. 
But it makes me think of Star Wars in this way. Where Star Wars, the first one came out, and it's fucking massive, and it's a cultural fucking phenomenon in 1977. People had to wait like five years from The Empire Strikes Back. And there's something about that. For one, I think it gave people time to really digest it. It got to go everywhere. Like, there's something about that that in that time helps. Where I go later on in Star Wars, they do the the thing that people do where you just start shitting them out every year because they make money. But it's like... I just think of that with Green Day. And once again, this could be a terrible fucking metaphor. It just popped in my head. But, like, the fact <laughs> that you put something out as big as Dookie, you can't put the ne- – like, you can't put The Empire Strikes Back out in 1978. Like, that's not – for a money grab, it's a thing. But, like, there's something about that that, like, while you're you're such a massive cultural thing like Dookie, that maybe it's not a good idea to try to, you know, continue on right away. Like – the success of that may have made them ba- like maybe they should have backed the fuck up like they did later on. Like, look at American Idiot. There wasn't a follow up for years that took like the flip side of this is when they had their next big album. Like we were talking about the difference between Insomniac and 21st Century Breakdown is one of them came out like a year after and the other came out almost five years later or maybe maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it come out. Maybe I think no, end of 08. End of 08, like I that. think. Yeah, I mean, about right. maybe like four years. So I don't know, three or four years. But I mean, big difference in time. Where once again, maybe that's handled better. You know, maybe, there, yeah, maybe they there's went, something about that. Yeah, yeah. No, and uh, I'll say this right now. Great analogy. I, I applaud you. <laughs> that's a first. Yeah, there we go. In power, in power court hour history. <laughs> I I can't remember all of them. You got you got me good with the fucking Iron Maiden one, and I don't remember the last one. <laughs> But you, there's been a couple times where you're like, right away, you're like, no, this is actually the best. And goddamn, you're right. It's not even condescending. You're just right. You just, you just have a better analogy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, stuck with me. And, and it is like you're talking about singles. Like, like when I play Green Day on the uh, radio show, like when I play a bigger band like them or like Blink One Eighty Two, I don't like playing the singles. Like if if I play them on on my show. I'm not going to play fucking Basket Case or Boulevard Broken Dream. Like, I want to play something that you haven't heard before, but I do play Stuck With Me because I'm with you. I go, this may be a single, but it's so fucking minor <laughs> that people will listen yeah. to my show. And if and if they're, like, obviously, if you're a, a Green Day Green, like, you're a big fan, you've, you've heard it. But if you're just a casual Green Day fan, I throw that on there because I go, this is a good song, good enough where they thought it was going to be a single, but you've probably not heard it, but you're going to really fucking yeah. like it. Because it's also not overplayed. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. It has the catchiness to be a single, but it's not – it hasn't been played a thousand times like Boulevard, Broken Dream, or, I mean, better yet, going back to a better analogy, how about uh, fucking Brain Stew? You know what I mean? You've heard Brain Stew mm-hmm. a thousand times on, on rock radio. When the fuck – I heard I, it on the radio last week. Oh, dude, you there? that song, it's just like how, like, somewhere in the world at all times, there's someone is in a guitar center – playing the opening riff to smoke on the water. It doesn't matter where you're at somewhere, somewhere out there. Someone's doing that right now in a guitar center. They're in a part of the world where it's fucking open, but like it's, it's, I'm having having a Vietnam flashback right now. I used to work there. I I was kind of do I was hoping I I put you back there, dude. (laughs) I guess I was kind of malicious, but, but no, it's like, it's the same thing with like brain stewards. Like it's being being played on rock radio somewhere at every fucking moment. There's probably not a second that goes by in this world. 
that that song is not being played on rock radio somewhere. It's just a fact. And, you know, so, like, that's that's the thing is, like, a lot of times, and that's done it for me. There's been, there's so many classic rock bands. Uh, you know what? I'll give you one right now. Led Zeppelin, I've never given a fair chance because growing up, you just heard them so much on rock radio that the five songs that I do know of Led Zeppelin, I go, I've heard them too many fucking times. It turns me off. Yeah. Like, and that's mm-hmm. the thing with, like, Green Day where I'm like, if you play, you know, if I'm going to play a fucking Green Day song, you've heard Brain Stew, you don't need to hear it again. Sometimes that turns people off. Now, if you play a song like Stuck With Me, you go, no, this is a good fucking song. Like this, and it's another mm-hmm. great highlight. Like you were talking about the simplicity of uh, Billy Joe's guitar, but the flip side of that, this is one of Mike's shining moments on the record. If you l- listen to the bass runs he's playing under there, like if you want to talk about <laughs> oh, not staying so, idle, oh, yeah. dude, he does not stay on one fucking note in that thing. That man's fingers are moving, like, just in the beginning, I'm thinking about, like, that underneath, like, that, like, when he's doing that, and then underneath you have mm-hmm. that, like, that fucking, th- he's almost playing, like, pull-offs or something. Like, I don't know what he's exactly yeah. doing, but it just, the way it meshes with that guitar so well, you don't even really realize that he's playing insane shit. Like, if, you, if you're not picking it, like, we're picking it out because we're musicians, so me and you are thinking about it in, like, a fucking more critical way. But, like, if you're just listening to that, not trying to pick that shit out, you wouldn't even realize. It's so – it works and connects and interlocks so mm-hmm. well, you almost don't – you almost can't, like, take apart the guitar and bass. They're, like, in there so – and then the flip side of that, too, yeah. he's locked in so well with fucking Trey. Like, the fucking bass yeah. and drums in that are just fucking great. Which, which you, like – I heard a really funny quote. That's that's funny because I I find bass players funny, the cliche. But like but like like bass players and drummers have to work together. Yeah, and I feel like not not enough people really. I guess, I guess people like outside of the music scene like don't know that. But like there's some people in the music scene that are just like I play bass and it's like root notes or whatever. But like you and your drummer need to be like in sync, and mm-hmm. I feel like not enough people know that, and. Once people understand that, like, like this, the schmo local band, well, like those bands, once they figure that out, it's going to change everything for them as far as like just songwriting and, you know, layering, you know, different parts like here and there. And oh, I don't know. It's such a game changer. And they, and they do it so well. And it, them just being a three piece, they all need to be so cohesive that like, I, you, as you said, you can't pick it. Like you can't separate them. You ha- like if you separate it, like something's missing. Yeah. And they're like, as far as like, it's funny I brought this end up earlier. Like Rush, Rush is such Fuck a great yeah. example of like they make so much noise for three people that Holy like shit. You forget there's you, only you three fucking what? people in that band. Exactly. So like with that like being a thing, like with Green Day, like I feel like as far as like just like three piece. Or not even just three piece, just bands in general. They're like a super group that are just the original members, essentially, because they all do what they do really well within their genre and like within their style. That if you took them away from it, they'd still be successful. But like you'd be like, man, like Green, like Billy Joe is in this band now, but like, man, he's missing that Mike Dirt bass style oh, or like yeah. Mike Dirt. You know, it's like he's missing that Billy Joe aggression and vocal style. And, like, same thing. You can throw Trey Cool in that conversation, and it's oh, yeah. all the same thing. And 
this song, just like since we're still on it, like it is like a, a perfect example of like Green Day's like cohesiveness and like how individual they are musically, but how well it goes together. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. I mean, like, and, and you're spot on, like, the whole rhythm section thing is a short sight in a lot of people's eyes. Because, like, you're saying, it's like, oh, we just need a bass. Like, I play bass, and it's like, you're just playing fucking root. And, like, all you're doing is playing what your rhythm guitarist is playing. You're just taking the fifth out. You're just, instead of making a chord, you're just playing the root note. And that just doesn't do anything. So people people want to jump on, like, just, you know, and don't get me wrong, lyrics and guitar and all that are important, but... If you're more like worried about like, oh, do we have these solos and this guitar and that and stuff? It's like, no, what people don't realize is how fucking. And here's the thing. The better you are, the less people realize it. And that's a good thing because it means people just like you're just doing it so meticulously or like just it fits so well that it doesn't like grab people's attention. But it's like if you have a solid bass and drummer, just a great groove and rhythm going like that's what makes it. It totally and Green Day is a good example of that because once again. Billy Joe's not a fucking, he's not a guitar virtuoso. He plays some cool shit. Like, I like his chord progression stuff, but he's never, I would never say he's like fucking Eddie Van Halen, and he's not supposed to be. No, of course not. But, like, the, the thing with that is, though, once again, you know, not getting far into music theory, but, like, just the thing of, if you're in a band where, like, like here, here's one. ACDC, I always say this. People talk about how, like, anything on an ACDC song that isn't Angus Young playing guitar is very in the pocket. They're not really doing anything. You know, they're playing it very straight. That's because mm-hmm. that's what they're – you can't have it. Like, the like the bass player cannot – if you have Angus Young in your band, you can't play weird bass runs. You can't, like – you got to kind of play root notes. And it's, like, same with yeah. the drummer. Like, you got to just kind of keep that beat – you got to play in the pocket. And there's a time and place for that, sure. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, absolutely. But That's like like the core of music essentially, like as far as like hit songs, oh, yeah. in the pocket. Oh, no, totally. But like if you want something more than that, like with Green Day, you're like it's and they got that. It's like it doesn't matter. Like there's not solo, like there's you can probably count on like one hand the amount of guitar solos on this record. If they're even, I'm trying to even think. I don't even know if there is one. <laughs> like, like I don't even, I don't even like know. Like when I started thinking about it, but it's like there's nothing wrong with that. the The secret to it, is the driving force of these songs, are the fucking bass and drums. Like the guitar is a huge part. I'm not taking that out of it, but like the bass and drums are so driving in, the, in including bass. Like is so. Same with the chorus. Like, I love that shit. You know when he's, like, hitting the snare and just that, and just the bass is doing that, like, no, 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 no. Like, I can't even, I can't mouth it. Yeah, but he's just going <laughs> up and down. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Right before they go back into yeah. the fucking last chorus. Like, what he's doing with Trey playing the drums there is just so fucking good. Like, they're just, the way yeah. they interlocked. Like, I don't want to stay in it forever because if you're not a musician, this shit's probably boring. But, like. You just listen to it and go, like, that's such a sweet spot. Like, I could just imagine, like, yeah. recording that. You're just like, that, they just fucking have it. Like, you just, like, if you were them coming up with that, you're just like, we fucking got it. Like, that's that's that oh, part of the that, song. Like, that fucking mm-hmm. works. And then to break into the chorus again after that, like, it's just the structure of that so fucking good, thanks to a big part, Mike and Trey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, another, 100%. I, another, I couldn't agree more. Like another one too, though I will say, and then uh, you know we can uh, close the remarks of the song. But another part I really like about this song is that Billy Joe and he does this very well, including on some of the first records. Like the brattiness of his vocals, like 
it's it's this thing that he does well on this song where it almost doesn't sound like he's trying at all, yet at the same time, it's just fucking perfect. Like there's this real loose case, like including in the in the uh, verses, I would say there's kind of this looseness to it. It's kind of bratty, but he does it so once again, going back to where it's done so meticulously and it's just done so well and effortlessly that it's like you can't pull it off. If you try to do that, it won't come off the same way. But the way he does it is just so fucking good. Like you can't emulate it. But like that snottiness and that brattiness in his voice is just, it's him. It's the uniqueness that you can't recreate, yet it's so simple. But you can't get it if you tried to do it with anyone else. Yeah. But, you know, like, I mean, once again, I mean, we, could, we could stand on this forever. I would, I'm going to say it's probably both our favorite. As far as we're going singles off the, the album, probably both of our favorite singles, I would say. Um, Maybe? No? Yeah. I would say it would definitely be number two for sure. Maybe number one on certain occasions, but I'd say for me, a solid number two without a doubt. Uh, another solid two is their uh, album before this dookie, but uh, I'm sorry. That was a shitty, that was a shitty joke. <laughs> <laughs> that was a shitty joke. It really wow. was. No, not even a pun. No. That, there was no. no pun intended. That was just a terrible <laughs> fucking joke. God. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, all right. Let oh, me get God. out of. Let me crawl out of this hole I just dug. Uh, moving on, <laughs> moving on. Geek stink breath. Now, the first thing I gotta say, my second favorite song about crystal meth. I mean, semi charmed life <laughs> has to be my first. I've always said that. Semi charmed life by Third Eye Blind makes me want to try meth. Like if I was ever like, like if there was ever a low point in my life, it's like I gotta try meth. I would put Semi Charmed Life on while I was smoking. Like I would just have to. Like like if someone offered me meth, I'd be like, you better have Third Eye Blind self titled record like with you. Like I have to listen now, to the song while I do. It. Now I don't do drugs, and I've never. I mean, even, I, don't I don't even either. know what meth looks like. No, but I'm just gonna say this. I don't know if there's like upper moments or downer moments with meth but like semi-charm like vice is like the total upper is like i would same thing like if for some reason meth would be presented in front of me you got to listen to that song while like, you do it I, yeah i'd have to listen to that song where <laughs> i would say geek sneak breath is a fucking downer to me yes god you know what dude the contrast of them both that is a great point of like the sides of meth like the first minute you're feeling semi-charmed life but then a couple hours go by, you're feeling a little geek stink breath. Yeah, and like, like I don't have like realistically like on this song in particular, I don't have a whole lot to say on it except for like when I was a kid, I used to like insult people with like, oh, do you have geek stink breath? <laughs> you know, just saying, yeah, I, I didn't know. I was a fucking little kid, and I didn't know this. Oh, actually, no, sorry, that was just sorry. I did know this. I knew they made a video for this because I remember seeing it as a kid. What I didn't know was when I went to watch this back, it is quote unquote blocked on YouTube. Oh my God, it is? You can you can watch it, but there's like legitimately like a warning before you watch it. That's like uh, graphic content, blah, blah, blah. Like it oh, tells shit. you if you, like, it asks you a question if you want to play it or not. I've never tried. I'm an OG. I've, I've only, uh, well, I probably have seen it on TV, but I first saw it on international super videos 
So I saw the fucking before you got a warning. They just fucking put the video on there. To this day, that's why I haven't watched it since I watched it on the DVD. To this day, that video just like, like I get it. Like I think it's funny that they did that. But like it still makes me uneasy. Like I can't I don't yeah. like watching it. It's not a video I enjoy watching. Yeah, I remember um again, I shared a room with my brother when I was a kid and you know, we listened to songs and you know, punk rock albums kinda got me into it. But like I remember we would go to bed at like eight or nine o'clock and around like ten, whatever, like we try to sneak out of our room because we would watch like Pee Wee's Playhouse and this and that. And like, oh, yeah. I remember watching this music video, knowing it was Green Day, and like seeing the content of it. I'm like, wow, that's really gross. Like, but not like <laughs> reacting to it. I wasn't reacting. I was just like, whoa, that's weird. And now I was like an adult. I watch it. I'm like, oh. Oh shit, that's that's messed up. <laughs> How is this on TV? Come to find out that they only aired it like late at night. <laughs> well, now here, now here, and, and we were we were getting into this was stuck with me, and uh, I, I think it was with your mm-hmms, if I remember correctly. But like, this was the lead single off the record, and I have the same thing because I first heard, I first saw this video and heard this song when I bought the International Super Videos DVD in like 2007. So, like, that was my introduction. Now that we're doing this and I'm realizing we're talking about a band that was selling millions of records, they're doing their follow-up, the label's about to put up the follow the, the first single. This is the first single off their second major label record. Like, this yeah. band's huge. And they put out a song called Geek Stink Breath, which is already a reference to fucking – I don't understand entirely, but I know geek has something to do with meth. So definitely Geek yeah. Stink Breath has to do with meth. And not only is the video fucked up, that is their friend getting his tooth taken out because of the effects of meth. <laughs> That's yeah. real fucking yeah. footage of a man getting his tooth pulled out because he was abusing meth. This is the lead yeah. fucking right. single and video off of it. Like, this is how they were going to sell more records for the band. It's insane to yeah. think about now. Maybe maybe this video is the reason why the fucking album quote unquote tank. I think it because may have. In some ways it very only, well might have. But I'll say this also. And again, I don't have a whole lot to say about this song, even musically. But I'll say this. Like, yeah, the video was weird. And for it being the first single is also weird. But also, this is probably the weakest song on this album, in my opinion. Ooh. Now, it's not my weakest, but now that you say that, I don't have it up there that high. If we were doing top, even if we were doing like top five songs, would not make it. It would not no, make it into nah. my top five. Like the more you say it now, I don't dislike this song, but it's not, it's far from the best song on this record. I don't hate this song. I, I like it. I'll listen to it if it comes on, but I'm not like stoked that it's on. I'll be like, oh, right on. Cool. And well, that's about it. Now, I won't tell you what song it is, but I'm going to bring this up. I have it in my notes for a song later on. You, you might have the same thing with this one. If you're listening to Insomniac front to back, you don't skip this song. But if you're putting Green Day on and you're just going through like a shuffle of Green Day songs, you're not going to intentionally play this one. It's not going to be your first no, it, pick. Yeah. Like on Spotify, sometimes I'll find an artist and I'll, I'll pick a song that I want to play, but then put it on shuffle. I will never select this song. Like, <laughs> I, like, this is the first song I want to hear. No, like, I'll find like a 
like a stuck with me or like even a castaway from uh from warning i'll put those Ooh, on yeah but like i'll i'll never select this as like the first song to kick off my green day jam <laughs> no that i i am now that you say that i am totally with you and i, I mean i kind of have the same thing like I feel like this one, there's not a ton to say. Like, I don't hate the song, but it's not my favorite. I think it's fucking odd now that, and really, this is like in real time, you're hearing me realize this, like how fucking odd it is that this was the first single and video, like, yeah. and the subject, just the fact that it was a subject matter of like, I guess that's what they, you know what though? They really did pave the way for Third Eye Blind a few years later. Steven Jenkins went, <laughs> well, those motherfuckers wrote a song about meth. Like, that was a single, like, I'm going to one up it. And I, and I hate to go back to and this. They did. But, like, like you know what's funny about this? As much as we're talking about how on this record there's a lot of songs that are a little more upbeat, but lyrically they're fucked up, this one I feel oh, like this, like the lyrics fit. Do you feel like that? See, I feel like the, the music fits with the lyrics. And it's funny because, oh, 100%. like, like Semi-Charmed Life is almost the pinnacle of what we're talking about where it's this ha- – that's one of the most fucking beautiful mm-hmm. summertime re- – that's, like, a defining oh. song of the 90s, and it's all about it, fucking doing meth and getting blown. Yeah. yeah. And no one – like, you can tell any schmo on the street, and they probably have no idea the meaning of that song. They fucking had to take out a whole – there's that whole bridge of the song that they had to take out of the fucking radio that only – actually, though, if you're not a Joser, you fucking play the OG version with that uh, – with the extra, the extra like bridge or whatever it is, like those, those extra yeah. lines. But like, yeah, like most of radio doesn't play a section of semi-charmed life. They cut out a section yeah. of that song because it's so yeah, fucking it, dirty. It, yeah, it, yeah, I, I, it's yeah. I'd rather listen to that than this. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I if we're talking, it, well, actually, no, that isn't surprising. Cause like I said, Geek Stink Breath, probably my second favorite song about smoking meth semi-charmed life definitely yeah. takes the cake for that it's still my biggest regret when i interviewed steven jenkins i wish i would have i really wish i would i think nowadays i might have i was just very nervous when I interviewed him i really wish i would have told him that uh, he wrote the greatest song about that i should have told him that he wrote a song that made me want to try crystal meth because i feel like it would have went two ways he either would have laughed at that or it would have gotten it would have been as silent as when i made my dookie joke uh, a few minutes ago when you said a solid number two. It would have went one of those oh ways. Boy, he oh either would have laughed or it would have went silent for 30 seconds. He, he, I'm not he sure. Just taken out, yeah, he would have just like taken out his headphones and just like left. Unplugged, <laughs> turned off his phone, like, it, like blocked your number. <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah, like, it, I don't know. It could have oh, went, went either way. But anyways, yeah. I uh, I apologize. I'm, making, I'm taking my own show and going off track. But uh, the next the next song, and actually, it is No Pride, and I actually forgot this was the next song. This is funny because I feel No Pride kind of like you do with Geek Stink Breath, where this is my – No Pride is easily my least favorite song on the record. I don't hate it. It's still a good song. It's my least favorite. And I have the same reaction you do with Geek Stink Breath, where if I'm listening to Insomniac, I'm not going to skip it. But I really, I, I can't think of a time that I've ever went out of my way to actually listen to this song. I feel like it's kind of, in my, this is what I wrote down. It could have been a Dookie B-side. Like, I don't even hear it on the record. I don't even hear it on Dookie. I just feel like it could have been like a B-side or an outtake. Like, it's an okay yeah. song, but there's nothing that special here. No, I, I, the only thing I can really say about it, because you're absolutely right, I kind of have the same kind of layout. It's just like, Nothing major of this song could have been on Dookie if Dookie was 
I guess, written differently or like arranged differently. They took a couple different songs out. But yeah. like the one thing I would say about this, um, because this is part of the nostalgia portion of this uh, album for me, is that uh, this was one of the songs that like, I guess, was like kind of like slowly starting to inform older me of like, not older me, but just like started to guide me in like the, the thought process of like kind of what, what it is to be a punk quote unquote. And like not giving a fuck and like, I don't care. And like, you know, like I am who I am and it's really no secret to these people that were like around me. And I didn't really give a shit like who thought of me in what way at that time. So that this song is kind of part of that. And also like, I would listen to it. Like, like when I was in school, I, I competed in wrestling. Like, and that, this was like one of the songs that like I would listen to. Like I'd have like oh, my nice. little tape cassette and it was this. And the next song were like, kind of like my big, like fucking getting ready, warming up, getting all like my aggression out, like before my match. And like, that's what I can say about this song. It's just like, it was kind of like my like, fuck you punk rock <laughs> anthem as a kid. And like, it got me, got me energized, but kind of like what you said, like, I'm not going to go out of my way to like listen to this song, but if it comes on, I'll be like, ah, a sick memory, but that's really about it. I'm not going to like, Oh fuck. I need to listen to no pride right now because of this. It's just like a cool, like, yeah, I remember. I remember eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, it's just good. And you know what? Like that. And like I said too, I I got into Insomniac at a weird time. So like, I would probably have the same reaction as you do. Like, there's songs on American Idiot that are like that for me, where I'm like, they're not really that special of songs. They're really not standouts. I just have some kind of memory associated with them. Or like, you know, it is from listening yeah. to that album a lot. Like, had I listened to Insomniac, like I totally get where you're coming from. Because yeah, had I. Uh, I had like a connection of that. Maybe I'd have more for this song where now, now I like listen to it even like when getting ready for this. And I was just kind of like, I like forgot about, like it was just a song where I'm kind of like, oh, I forgot about this song. I'm just kind of like, eh, it's okay. Yeah. No, I could easily see that. But, uh, you know, I, I guess then <laughs> if we don't have much else to say about no pride, we can probably, uh, move on. And this one's actually the opposite of no pride. This one's actually one of my, <laughs> this is like top three, songs on the record and i also got to say the next few songs on here in my opinion is like the sweet spot of the album like the next couple ones oh yeah really oh, yeah. fucking good like this is where oh yeah this yeah. is this is the next couple songs really make like the record why it's so good and obviously the next one if you don't know what we're talking about babs uvula who and uh just so fucking i mean once again baseline you want to talk about a good fucking baseline that one so <laughs> goddamn good dude so good yeah yeah oh (laughs) oh man like 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 i said like this song and no pride were like part of like my pump up kind of ready to beat some ass i want to beat a motherfucker up after this song 100 percent. this is great music for that oh my god it was so it was so awesome to listen to like get myself in the zone and just like just i don't know just like hearing the guitar and hearing just uh like uh, the whole like get myself all wound up and like, how that's like kind of just repeating throughout the whole song like oh god there's so much energy to it uh, it reminds me just like of a good solid UK punk rock song 
Ooh, yeah, you know what? That's a good – I didn't write it for this song, but there is like one or two parts on this where I feel like they really kind of went back and like you can you can hear the influence at like that old school, early like UK punk and also like 80s punk and hardcore like early stuff. There's a couple parts on this album where it comes out. Like you're talking about, I, I made that I made that connection in a couple other places where you totally can hear that, like that old UK punk stuff. Yeah. It, oh man. Like, like just while you were saying that, like I just kind of popped it up on my YouTube really quick, and like I played the first like nine seconds, and also like also my 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 eyebrows like got angry, and I'm just like started bobbing my head, and like. <laughs> just like listening to you talk and like having that in the back and I, I just started bobbing my head and like making an angry face already like, you're ready to uh, kick up you're right you're gonna go outside your apartment after this and just beat the shit out of someone it's first person who just I walks by you anyone. wait what i can't touch anyone i gotta oh I gotta, shit I gotta, that's I true myself, god damn you know what that's what we what, forget of all, of all the shit of all the shit that covid's <laughs> taken from us you can no longer just go out and just fucking beat up people after you listen to insomniac <laughs> That's the true injustice here that I can't listen oh, to fucking insomnia. I can get transported back to uh, high school wrestling and fucking fight people on the streets. Yeah. Right. <laughs> It'll be go. fair game. I'll let them listen to it first too. I'll be like, listen, I'm about yeah. to beat you up. But before that, go listen to tracks. I, I'm going to give you a chance. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever heard the second half of insomnia? <laughs> Actually, this might still be, this might still be side a, but anyways, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just yeah, derailing yeah. It again. But uh yeah. But but no, it, yeah, just the energy of the song and like I'm I'm glad this wasn't a hit cuz it could have been in some other like uh universe. But like this is one of those songs where like again, super fast song at this point in the album, it is the, the besides Brat, it is the the shortest song and I feel like it just gets the job done as far as like giving you a full song in two minutes without feeling like you're missing something without thinking like, Oh, there should, this part should be extended or there should be some like, you know, an extra thing here. It's just, it, it cuts to the point without thinking like it's too short. No, you're, you're right. I mean, like literally one of the things I just have written down is just it's classic catchy green day. Like it's one of those songs that you're talking about, like how it could have been a single and thank God it wasn't, but like, cause yeah, also no. I could see it as a single, but I think it would have had the same fate that stuck with me did really any song on oh, this absolutely. record. If you, if you are a song on insomniac and your name isn't brain stew slash jaded, you <laughs> didn't, you never got the fucking love or respect that you deserved. Like you were neglected. Like you should like come here and let me hug you. Like, you should have been so much fucking bigger. Like that's a sad thing is it should have been a single, but I don't think it would have ever done anything. It just it would have. It I just had have... a. Oh no! Sorry, keep on. No, 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 go, no, dude, you're fine. What would you no, just think of? No. I, I, oh man, like it's not. I would say it's not as bad as an analogy, but it's kind of like a oh, that's really sad analogy. Oh no! What it's is like, it? It's like it's like you. Oh god, it's so sad. Like you go to like a like an adoption agency for like puppies and you see all the puppies and you're like, Oh, all these puppies are so cute. I like you. And I like you. And I like you, but look at this one. This is, this one's so cute. And like, that, that's like, I guess since we just kind of brought it up, like, Oh, I'm petting my new dog brain too jaded. Like, Oh, <laughs> but these other ones are so cute. You know what? 
I'm going to get this one now and I'll come back for you guys later. And then they just never got picked up. <laughs> I was going to make it really, I, never mind. I'll say, they were, I was going to make it really appreciated. dark. I wasn't going to say appreciated. that. No, no, we're, we're not, we're not going to kill these songs. <laughs> oh, okay. You knew <laughs> all the songs they, they on Insomniac picked- got euthanized afterwards. <laughs> I mean, it's a dark record. <laughs> Didn't we say it's a it dark is, yeah. fucking record? It is. It is. You know what? They probably have a B-side about that. <laughs> oh, my God. Just putting down puppy. That's the B-side to the song about your parents fucking dying again in inheritance. It's about fucking. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, they, he, they use the inheritance to, to, to buy some puppies. <laughs> but just they use all, Oh, God. <laughs> it's just called Bag Full of Puppies. Duffel Bag Full of. That's actually the original title of Insomniac was Duffel Bag Full of Puppies. It's true. You hear you heard it here first. Yeah, guys. that's a that's a music. <laughs> now listen, there's nowhere else. Like if you're looking, if you're looking for the source on this, a credible source, it's just here. It was just. Yeah. If anyone's like, where'd you hear that? Say episode, uh, thirty eight of the Power Chord Hour podcast. They'd be like, what the yeah. fuck's that? And it's like, fuck you, dude. And you can beat them up because you just listen to this song and you're pumped. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow, we went out. Wow, we went completely just off the rails there. I mean, we we really just meshed Babs Uvula who with a uh, high school wrestling and dog euthanasia all all balled um, up into I mean, one. It sounds like a song I would have written like <laughs> freshman year in high school. Oh my god! I I think we might we might get into that later on. I I kind of have something that goes along that line, but I guess I guess getting back to things, I don't know how much get it. I don't know how much uh, this song is about euthanasia. I don't know how much it has to do with anything we were just talking about, but it's just such, it's such a classic song, and it, it is a fucked up thing mm-hmm. though. Because yeah. like you like getting back to your analogy before I pissed all over it with my dark fucking, <laughs> my dark turn. You're absolutely right though. Like it's like sure it would be rad if it was like if it got more attention and stuff, but I'm like I feel like the fate of it would have been any different. Like I don't think any song, as much as there's songs on here where we could go, this song's better than this one, or this one should have been a single. The fucked up thing is I don't think it would have mattered. Like I don't think. Yeah, no, it wouldn't have. It, it was like you said; they would have all met the same fate that every other single that wasn't Brain uh, Jaded. They just would have been overlooked, and it would have taken, you know, someone like I'll say like myself to like go back and be like, "Oh, I didn't know there was a video for uh, like Stuck with Me until like years ago." You know, it would have been that same thing. Like, Bad Juvenile Who had a had a video, really? Yeah, like you, you, know, you like, like it would just blow your fucking mind. Like you'd be like, I hadn't like yeah. ten years later, you'd find out. Yeah, exactly. You and know? no other song except for maybe one other would have that. Yeah, it's it's and it is it's it's a bummer, but uh, I just I think that's the absolute truth. There wasn't I don't know like the whole the whole thing like we're both of the consensus. This is a great record. Might be one of their best ones. You even have me kind of thinking now this might be one of their best ones. But with that said. I, the fucked up thing is like, I don't think any could anything could have saved this. And it's funny because we're talking no, about a Green no, Day nothing. record. Like, it's weird to talk about how this was commercially a failure. Like, it's not a shitty record by any means. It's a commercial no, failure. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not. It's a great fucking record. It was only a commercial failure. But, like, it's so funny when you're talking about a Green Day record. Like, because now it's funny. You think about it in 2020, like, Green Day's fucking huge. I mean, sure, not every album is sold millions and millions, but still they're a fucking massive man. So to think that like this record was looked at as a step in the wrong direction by some. And I mean, even, 
you know, career-wise, if they were trying to make millions of dollars, it was not a step in the right direction. But, you know, it's it's such an interesting album for all those reasons. It's like no song, I think, would have made a difference. I don't think, like, as good of a record as it is, I'm basically just saying I don't think there's a way for this to sell 10 million records like Dookie did. There's not a world mm, where this no. sold that many. There's just, it never could no. have happened. No. No, I, and it sucks because actually it does suck, but it doesn't because like it gets people like us talking about how great this record really is and mm-hmm. how slept on it was. And maybe it gives someone that second chance look at being like, man, you know what? I kind of skipped out on this record back in the day or kind of shit talked it. And then they kind of go back and listen to it and hopefully kind of see, see it in a in, in good of light as we see it because I think it's one of their better records and the fact that it did get slept on and was considered a commercial failure sucks. But again, it also lets people understand that like just because commercially something didn't succeed doesn't mean it could still, it doesn't mean it can't have longevity and it can't hold up to the test of time. It's a good, you know what? It's also a great example of the idea that just because something popular doesn't make it good or just because like just because and vice versa, if something's not popular, doesn't mean like if you're gauging the quality of something by how popular it is, you're a fucking moron. Oh, and this yeah. is a good example of that. Like you're like if you're just like, I'm not going to check out that one because it doesn't have fucking good riddance or American Idiot on it. Like it doesn't have one of the songs that I know you're missing out on some of their best work. Like, you yeah. know, and that's what a lot of bands. There's so many because the other thing, too, is like. Maybe these songs, which once again, I don't see it ever being big, but if there somehow was a bizarro world where this record sold tons and tons, maybe we would detest this record because it got overplayed like a lot of their other stuff. Like maybe, maybe there is a timeline where stuck with me is played ad nauseum like brain stew is where I'm just like, like if I hear brain stew on the radio, I'm not going to change the channel, but I'm no longer like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't get that stokeness you get. Sometimes you hear a band that you love on the radio. You're just like. It's brain stew. Like, like we said, this is getting played on radio somewhere at every fucking waking moment. Like it's, it's not special to hear anymore. And it's the same thing. Like if I hear stuck with me on a show that isn't my own and someone else is actually playing it, I'm like, holy shit. Like who's playing this song right now? Yeah. Yeah. You fucking get stoked where it's like, what if we are in a world where it's like, oh, stuck with me? Like this is the thousandth fucking time I've heard this. You know, like, yeah, so maybe that's part of why we still love it so much is it is kind of pure. You know, it wasn't it wasn't played out like, you know, some of the singles on Dookie and some of their other records, you know, like maybe yeah. maybe that's part of what makes it good. But I, I guess uh, I don't know. Maybe the other thing is just the songs are fucking good. That, that might be the other reason why it's good. Maybe the songs mm-hmm. are just good. But, uh, you know, I mean, you got anything else on this song before we move on to the next? Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. It's a fucking solid song. It's one of my favorites. And. I mean, like yeah. I like I said, this section is like the best part of the record, in my opinion. And this is another. If oh, we're yeah. talking top three songs here. Babs is in there, and so is eighty six. The next song, this is honestly in my top three of uh, the record. It's there's just something about it. It's fucking simple. Once again, that chorus is simple as shit. It, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to it. It's just so good. It's just so catchy. It's yeah. another one of those songs where energy takes such a big part of it. There's nothing crazy about it musically. They're they're not reinventing the wheel here. They're not doing anything too different. It's just works so fucking well. It's just all the energy of mm-hmm. it and stuff. You just hear and you're like, that's what makes it good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh like uh 
this is one of those songs I kind of referenced to earlier of like, I wish like my band or like a band that was in was able to like write songs like this or like do something lyrically like this. This is one of the songs where it was like, not knowing that like my songwriting or like the way I played guitar kind of came from a particular source where this song is definitely like, yeah, it's simple. It's, there's nothing to it. Like it, but like it, it's one of those songs that allows me to just feel like, okay, my band would have written a song just like this. And it sounds like a song that like one of my first bands would have written. And it, that's like the main place it takes me to is that, is that like, man, I wish I could write a song like this. Well, my band started writing songs like this and I didn't even know it. That, you know, that's a great, like, I love where you're going with that too, because I feel like this song, part of what makes it so good is that it's one of those, there's certain songs where I go, if someone asked you like, what is, and, and including if we're getting specific, like an era, like if you're like, what is, what did pop punk sound like in the mid nineties? This is a song that I would play. If I was making a playlist, like this is a song that would be on there. Like if you're just talking about in general, like summarize for me what that sound is. This is one of those songs. There's it's the simplicity of it. It's the lyrics. It's the energy the everything about it, like what you're talking about and why it makes total sense, why it influenced you. I think it's one of those ones where it's like, this is what you go off of. Um, I, mm-hmm. I always say that with, uh, you know, I mean, just kind of another example. I always say this about Alistair somewhere on Fullerton. I'm like, if you want to talk about Ooh. what pop punk in the early 2000s sounded like, I just go, that's that's the song. Yeah. It's it's like that has it just it's the elements. And same with Holiday. You yeah. want to talk about what makes a good album opener. It's like what I was saying with the Get Up Kids Holiday earlier. I'm like, there's just certain songs where you go, it's just no nonsense. It it defines a genre in a lot of ways. In 86, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah, it like doesn't, you know, it didn't like make them. I don't know that they play this song live much. I don't know that a lot of people know it, this yeah. song. But it's like no. the people who did, though, like the people who give a shit like you who like were listening to it and then like, you know, being influenced by it. This is a fucking song to do that. Absolutely. Like yeah. just everything about it. Like I would say like this would be one of those songs that like I'd say like because uh, I I can't think of a time that like this was like uh, added to a set list by of theirs by any means. But like say during like I'll say during like American Idiot era, it's like you know because they at that point they have so many hits they can just do a hits you know tour and no one's really going to get mad technically. But like, say during American Idiot era, they were like, "All right, we're we're gonna bring it back," and they just threw out fucking '86. Fuck yes, that that crowd. Okay, maybe depending on the crowd, but I think like the core Green Day fans that have been with them forever, if they heard this song, oh, it would that show would go nuts. That crowd would be off the wall. Oh, 100%. And this is, this is, I was talking about this earlier on in the year. It's obviously, or not canceled. I guess it's postponed now. But the thing I was talking about, like that whole tour they were going to do with Fallout Boy and Weezer, like that's cool. But one of my things about it, what I was saying is like, you're just going to get greatest hit sets from all those guys. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're playing arenas, you're playing different fans. But it's like a tour like that, like what you're talking about, like if they played 86, like on the Hella Mega Tour, I feel like more than half the crowd would just kind of like, you know what I mean? I don't think they'd get a reaction. Oh, yeah. I don't think no, they'd they get wouldn't. One. 
I remember seeing but, Fallout like, Boy when they the, right when they reunited. I saw them with a bunch of people who obviously like which they just put fucking light 'em up or whatever out. It was before the whole record was out, but like uh, they okay, yeah, they yeah. played Tell That Mick, and I swear to you, dude, I was like one of the only people. I was the only person in my in my fucking area too. They're all a bunch of like little teenage girls. I was jumping around. I was fucking screaming, and I and dude, I was in the fucking minority. I looked around. People didn't give a shit. And I'm like, what are you yeah. motherfuckers? Like, I wanted to sl- I wanted to listen to Babs and No Pride and just start wrestling motherfuckers there. Like, <laughs> how can you guys not, like, am I listening to the same thing you guys are? Like, they just pulled out one of their greatest songs ever, and you're all, like, waiting for fucking thanks for the memories? Like, go fuck yourself. Like, you, it's totally. Yeah, no, it- I've seen crowds, and, and it's a bummer because sometimes a band will play a song you love. But it is true. If the crowd's not receptive, even if you are, it kind of bums you out. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, <laughs> no, it, it is. It's just it, it's a. Uh, I feel. I feel like yeah. It just depends. The uh, you need the right crowd for that. But uh, yeah, yeah like, I, I would love a fucking Green Day like. Like if if they were doing like Bakersfield hometown like shit, and it was like you know, like you know they're playing like their local like. Uh, like stadium, like I know there's a place. I, I maybe not even like a stadium, but like there's a place. Uh, I think it's in San Francisco, which technically isn't too, too far. But like uh, it's uh, it's called like the Cow Palace, I believe. Pretty small like venue as far as like capacity goes, you know. And you get you know Bay Area like Green Day fans, and they pumped out this song. I would. I'm not saying like everyone in the crowd's gonna go nuts, but you're gonna get a good chunk of people that are like losing their mind in like a holy shit moment of like this is actually happening no that, like, that that's one no. if you played a small fucking show like they played an intimate show there would definitely be a pit and crowd surfing to this song 100 that that's like, the crowd where you get the reception so like not on the same level by any means but like a number of years ago um i saw a blink with matt skiva play with like a data member and shit like that. And the video is going around on YouTube now. And it's funny because I was at that show. So I, it felt more special to me, but like, uh, Matt Skiba went on stage to play with a data member and they played the private private eye, eye. right. Yeah. And, yeah, video and like, yeah. And I was in the crowd, like losing my fucking mind because like it's Alkaline trio, a local dude, you know, they're playing like, like a really like a really fucking great song oh, that, that I wasn't rules. expecting that I wasn't expecting to hear. And same thing, like I was going nuts hearing it and like kind of looking around and I can see like, you know, they, they remember fans and like the blink fans that were in the crowd, like even like probably people that were in the trio a little bit, but like most people in my general area was just like kind of bobbing their head like okay what is this like matt's with data remember on this song cool no big deal but like i was like in your position like i was losing my fucking shit and like yeah. no one around me was feeling it and i was like oh my god this is your guys are terrible i'm sorry why why did they place me in the joser section i'm sorry i didn't see that on my ticket i thought it said general admission not fucking joser section <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, fucking it, dude. everywhere, man. <laughs> Apparently, but like you're totally, you're totally right. And I mean, and and we get back to the song here, but just that whole thing of like how audiences have such a big thing of that. Like what I always appreciate, I've seen the Menzingers live a lot of times, and they they'll every show I've ever seen them play, 
they will pull out an obscure cover or B-side that they've done. And I and it's always but like what I like about that is you look around and it's the same thing. Half the crowd doesn't even fucking know the song. Like they'll play a song off like 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 one of my favorite songs there is Irish Goodbyes. It's a it's a random song off a compilation they that it was on for like Run for Cover in like 2011. I've heard them play that like two or three so- times. Half the crowd doesn't fucking know it. But the but the ones of mm-hmm. us who do we're fucking jumping. We're being fucking crazy. Like you're going, it's, it's the most, it's like the biggest reaction they get out of me all night. And I appreciate when bands do that, but it does. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, sometimes you see them, including with green day, like men's singers, obviously it's such a smaller level to do that. But I feel like green day is in one where a lot of times you can't play this shit. Like I, I bet a lot of times yeah. they would like to play some of the songs that they just don't play. Cause you're right. Like after a while, you have so many fucking albums. You have so many singles, and you're including you play in arena. the The weirdest thing about arenas, when you think about it, is like there's thousands of people who bought tickets for one or two songs. There's literally people yeah. who went there, spent oh, eighty yeah. bucks to hear fucking American Idiot. Like that's it. Like literally, like yeah, and one fucking song. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like, like same thing. Like, I mean, like, uh, just since it's a uh, you know, something relatable, like, like, I couldn't imagine, like, go, like, I'm going to bring up, like, a band that I like, but I don't, like, love, but I know some, like, hits, like, that'd be, like, me being, like, you know what, you know who I really like, I like, and this is not really bad in retrospect, but, like, I, you know what, Bayside, and, like, like, I like them, I don't know a whole like I know their songs, but it's not like I sit there and listen to them a lot, and I can't call them one of my favorite bands. But yeah. I'll be like, yeah, they're cool. That would be like me, like on a Green Day level, being like, I'm going to pay this money to hear Devotion and Desire. Yeah. I was you know, just about like, to say that song like, too. Yeah, and that's like their big hit, and that's like the same with Green Day. Like you get that one person, whatever, being like, I want to, I want to hear American Idiot. Like that's all I'm here for. I don't give a fuck about these other songs. Like, <laughs> like. Like I hate, I don't like that point of view because like just because like you're really not enjoying the show you're just getting by just to hear one song like imagine if they played eighty six at like all these shows and like no one cares at all and like would that feel defeating because these people don't know this song or would it be like you know what this song is kind of like you know what we don't care if no one knows it this is like our time to be like, you know what? For one song, let's just not care about what everyone wants to hear. And let's just play something for ourselves. I think so much of that is a balance too, because the thing is like, it's not even like they could do a great fucking version of it. The problem is it becomes a lull in your set. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're playing hit after hit after hit and everyone's going fucking nuts and then you throw in that monkey wrench with something like this, that that's where I think the problem is where a lot of times won't do it because Yes, you'll have this minority of the crowd who's really fucking stoked on it, but all of a sudden you lose some of that energy level. Like when you start playing shit that people don't, it's the same thing with like playing too many new songs. It's like, it starts to fuck up the flow of, you know, the whole set. It's not even if the band doesn't like it. Cause I'm sure green day strikes me as dudes. Like they all seem like they'd like to do that. Don't they? Like, I feel like they might even like when they do sound checks and rehearse and shit, I could see them pulling out weird stuff. Like I think oh, they yeah, they yeah. appreciate their back catalog. I, I I don't have any reference to it, but I would assume that that would be the same thing. Like 
like they would love to do that. It's just that's where they would do it, though. That yeah. would be it. Yeah, it, I mean this this all just makes it really more. They need to do a fucking tour where yeah, they just play like basically no singles. Just go, even if it was smaller, like play a. I mean, still they would still sell out an arena with that, but like just even at advertise like we're not playing singles. Like anything, anything that was like on the Billboard top forty, not getting played here. Like this is all this is all fucking album songs. This is all album tracks. Like in recent times, like we kind of like a couple weeks ago kind of made reference to this like through twitter or facebook um we were talking uh like newfound glory just did the 20th anniversary uh live stream of their self-titled album and they split that they did basically like one whole set of just that album and then they did like a second set of like the other hits and other songs like in the repertoire so they still did like the album in full like whatever hits were on that album, quote unquote, but they did it in full. And then they did a second set to like kind of fill the gaps of like, if people were there for the hit song, that like, Oh, I want to hear my friends over you. Well, you'll hear that in like the second half of that set. Yeah. But like, you still get the core like of the album and then you can kind of get everything else later on. If they did something like that, even would be fucking mad. Well, that's what I like about like when they when they have done Dookie because I think they essentially do that. Like if you go look up the set list, they'll like play Dookie front to back, and then they'll do like greatest hits. So I'm in the crowd and I go, "Holy shit!" I just heard "Coming Clean" or "Sass Frat's Roots," and then it's like I heard "Pulling Teeth." Yeah, like like and then and then it's like then there's other motherfuckers there though who are there for like American Idiot, and they still get that. You know, we we both leave satisfied. Mm-hmm. Like that that is yeah. kind of a nice argument for like album anniversary shows is a lot of times they will do like an encore of greatest hits, so it's like. Someone can hear those songs I want to hear, but I also get to hear a few songs that they probably either never played live before or haven't played live since. Actually, dude, this is funny. I was uh, reading, I forget where I saw, but when I was looking up shit for this episode, 86 was one of those apparently. They played it a lot on the Insomniac tour, never really played it again after. It is not It is wow. not really played much afterwards. Was and, I, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm just... I was I was just gonna say that like and kind of maybe in rapping of this song, the only other thing I would say would be like uh though like it wasn't actually no, this is a completely different tangent, but no. Uh Go ahead, man, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 I was gonna split onto something else that wasn't on the point that I was <laughs> You're gonna to pull make. an Anthony. Um, yes, exactly. No. Um the only other thing I wanna say about this song, me personally, is that up until doing this and it never really dawned on me. I had no a, I had no idea that the words 86 were even in this song because I didn't know like until I was older what the term 86 even meant. I thought the title of the song was 86, which it is. I didn't ever hear 86 in the lyrics and the chorus. I thought they said there was no return from innocence. <laughs> Oh, is this what you were talking about earlier when I brought up uh, fucking in in uh, in uh, fucking what song was it? Uh, was it uh, I can't think of the song it, uh, title. Brat? It was in Brat. Yeah, Brat. Yeah, because I think I I thought after Mom and Dad looks so good these days, he said they have hangovers from hell, and that's not what he's saying yeah. at all. No, like the entire time, like I thought, like like the title of the song being eighty six meant like a year or like a yeah. street. Oh, you know? yeah, no, that makes I didn't sense. Know. And then, like, 
a couple of years ago, like I actually heard the term like, oh yeah, this is being 86 or this is being 86. And like, it didn't dawn on me until I was doing this. I'm like, oh yeah, there's that song 86. And then I'm listening to it. I'm like, oh, it makes so much more sense now. <laughs> you know what though? I like the innocence thing because, and, and this will be my, uh, this will be my closing remark on it then as well. But uh, it, it, this, this was just hours ago, actually. I was, I was thinking about this song, and I randomly thought about it. I was listening to the lyrics, really, for one of the first, like, really paying attention to the lyrics. And I'm like, I bet this song is about Gilman Street. And I looked it up, and I swear to God, that's what it's about. I'll, I'll just listening at the no lyrics. Way. Yeah, because I started thinking, because 86, like you're talking about, like what 86 means. And then I started thinking about it, and you listen to the lyrics, and I'm like, this kind of sounds like it's about... Cause you know, like kind of about Gilman Street, and I looked it up. It's one hundred percent about that. I mean, it, it's been Holy confirmed. Shit, that's rad. Which that's so sick. <laughs> which the innocence thing though, I was going to get to. I like what you said about there's no return to innocence because even though it's not what he's saying, it makes sense with the subject of the song. It's like, yeah, we it can't does. go back. We're exactly, fucking yeah. shunned. Like, there's no return to innocence. We're not fucking allowed yeah. back to the place that we got established at. Like the whole place yeah. that gave us a name, we can never go back to. So it's like, which once again, what a class act, because even with that said, they're not, it's not like they're really mean to Gilman Street in that. You know what I mean? It's about getting shunned and cut out from that, but it's not that mean or bitter of a song. You know what I mean? No, it's not a fuck. It's not like a fuck you to it. It's just like a, it's a disappointment more than a bitterness. Yeah. 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 You know, like, like, and it is, it's not like a fuck you or anything like that. Once again, they obviously had some love for him because they fucking have financially got them out of trouble, I think, a few times. And, like, I love Gilman Street. Once again, it's the fucking silliest thing to me that Green Day got, like, just, I mean, the shunt where it's like, people fucking know about you because of them. Like, they gave you a name. There's still people who fucking, if you're not from the Bay Area, there's so many of us who never would have even known what that place was without like green day and shit like that like you know yeah it's just so silly to look back on now but once again though like we were talking about how selling out affected the band on this record this literally is a song about not being able to play a place because you signed to a major label literally about that this like that really shows you how much selling out affected shit back that's how much people gave a shit Mm -hmm. that i mean one of the best songs on the record you know is about that That is the first half of me and Kyle's analysis of Green Day's Insomniac. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. And uh, I really was just going to put this out as one episode. But the audio file, I'm not even kidding, was so long that Adobe Audition would not let me export it by itself. So uh, I had to cut this bad boy in two parts. I will not make you wait till next week. We will get that out here in uh, a few days here. But uh, yeah, I was originally going to put this out all as one. But yeah, uh, Adobe Audition does not like that we went as long as we did. So uh, I got to cut it up. But that is it. That is going to be the episode. Give us a little follow at Power Chord Hour on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify. And uh, hit me up. If you review the show, rate and review it on iTunes. Send us a screenshot. I'll send you a free T-shirt and some guitar picks. Hit me up, PowerCordHour at gmail.com for that. And anything else you want to talk music. And uh, let me know what you think of the first half of this episode. We'll be back in the next couple days with the second half for you. And uh, I got to thank Kyle for uh, doing this. It was so much fun. And he, uh, he, was, a good, he was a good sport. And uh, we went nice and long and never, never complained once. And uh, I love talking about this record for way longer than it actually is. I mean, you, you, even at this point, you could have heard the record a couple times. So uh, that is it for right now. We'll be back, like I said. But uh, for the Power Court Hour, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thanks for listening.